This is a recording of On Air with the Chair Live, conducted on December 1st, 2021, at 6 p.m. Central. Participants include Captain Nicholas James, MEC Chairman, Captain Samuel Friedman Cowan, MEC Vice Chairman, and Carl Wozmack, Senior Labor Relations Counsel. The full video of this call is available on the Endeavor MEC website on the members' homepage. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to another episode of On Air with the Chair Live. As always, I am the Master Executive Council Chairman, uh, Nicholas James. As you guys can see right away, I am joined by two uh, different faces than are usually up here, and I'd like to take a moment and let them introduce ourselves. First, our very uh, newly elected and soon-to-be-departing Sam Friedman Cowan. Sam, floor, floor is yours, sir. So for those of you who I probably have spoken to, but you may not have seen my face, my name is Sam Friedman Cowan. I was hired in the beginning of 2017 as a New York pilot. Most recently, I've been serving as a Detroit 200 captain. Beginning in 2018, I was serving as a grievance committee member. At the end of 2018, I was elected to the New York first officer representative position. I've just about managed to serve out the entire term uh, in that position. Uh, and I've really done a lot of work with the grievance committee, serving as grievance committee member, section 19 coordinator, grievance committee vice chair. I'm at present the grievance committee chairperson and uh, effective today, I am the MEC vice chair. So thank you to those who elected me several years ago and thank you to the MEC for electing me to this uh, position today. And as Nick alluded to, it's probably gonna set a record for shortest tenure as MEC vice chair. I am scheduled to depart Endeavor for JetBlue. My last day of service with Endeavor is gonna be December 14. Thanks, Sam. And I just want to say thank you sincerely, sir, for all of your hard work. When you take a look at a union volunteer and what makes a good union volunteer, it's somebody that has a lot of passion for service. They produce a lot of results. They have a very strong work ethic. And I can tell you, Sam checks all those boxes and so many more. Um, it is a, a big loss to the Endeavor MEC to see you depart, but I'm glad that you have an opportunity to continue your career. Um, thank you for your short service in the vice chairman's role. And uh, I would say the only thing that I'm kind of sad uh, to say is that uh, I was really hoping that you were going to take my place once I departed for uh, Delta. Um, but like I said, I'm glad that you're going to have an opportunity to JetBlue. So thank you, sir. Yeah, well, and the idea of replacing you is enough to warrant my going to JetBlue. <laughs> so I'm very happy that I have that opportunity. <laughs> Can't say I blame you. And uh, up next, you have probably seen him in a previous uh, broadcast. But as you guys know, our former senior labor relations attorney, Jane Traft, has now retired. And this is our new senior labor relations attorney, Carl Wozmack. Carl, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Look forward to being here and uh, working with you all. Excellent. Thank you. So we're going to give you a little bit of a brief overview of tonight's call, and then we're going to go topic by topic and give you some briefings on some hot topics. And then we're going to go into our normal question and answer mode, which is typically where we spend most of our time. You are going to, you are going to be able to submit questions uh, online, and you're also going to have the ability to talk to us live here a little while later. Um, as far as the overview of the broadcast is concerned, um, we are going to be talking about a few different things. First and foremost, the career advancement plan that is uh, a tentative agreement and out to the pilot group. We're going to give you a little bit of a briefing on that, the components of it, and really strategically how the MEC and this pilot group is well served. Um, after that, we're going to move on to other negotiating priorities. Um, consistent with the discussions and negotiations that we ended up having in the springtime during the flow discussions, 
during these cap discussions and any potential retention discussions, the company is wanting to talk about those components in conjunction with other contractual items. And we've said that uh, what we'll do is we'll be more than happy to run parallel tracks on those. And Sam's going to give you some insight as to what some of the company asks are and more importantly, what our quids that we're requiring are. Um, then it's going to come back to me and I'm going to talk to you about the conclusion of the progression for all campaign. Uh, then we're going to move on to Carl, who's going to talk about Section 19s uh, specifically and kind of focused on sexual harassment as we have seen more of those crop up uh, in the recent months. And we want to make sure that uh, you understand what the standards are and what links the company has been going to uh, as far as taking discipline against pilots. We want to make sure that we're keeping everybody safe, safe environment, safe career, safe work. So. He'll be talking a little bit about that, and then I will end with a little bit of an update on where we're at as far as retention discussions are concerned. And then, of course, we'll move on to the Q&A. Uh, before we get into that, uh, two things. Number one, I would like to say a big thank you to the entire comms team. They make this um, program, this show, whatever you want to call it, they make this a reality, and they do a great job of it uh, every single time. And in fact, uh, just found out just a few minutes before the show, we actually have a new feature tonight. Uh, we did some uh, software upgrades in the EBBs inside each of the crew rooms, and this show is now live streaming from each and every single crew room uh, throughout our network, which is a really great feature. And we also have a talk-to-text um option so that even though there may not be sound on the EBBs, there should still be text coming through. So that is uh, kind of a, a welcome change and a, a nice added feature. And I'd like to thank uh, Peter and Alex and Rob and Anthony and Derek for making this happen because you guys really do a great job making this a reality. So thank you so much. Um, also really happy that we were able to squeeze one more call in before the end of this year. This will be our last one for 2021. It's also going to be our last one and maybe even have to take a small hiatus on the podcast just due to the fact that our Alpa offices will be renovated over the course of the next six to eight weeks and we're not going to have access to this site. Uh, so most of our work will have to be conducted remotely, but when there are uh, times that we have meetings with a company or potential negotiations, we do have uh, backup plans and different options for internal meeting sites. So business will still be conducted as usual. But we are excited for our new space uh, to get renovated. We updated our lease agreement with International Plaza, uh, where our offices reside here in Minneapolis. We got a nice tenant improvement allowance, and we're using that allowance to redo carpet, paint, uh, some of the fixtures that are in here, and just kind of try to update a what, 1990s Manila brown uh, motif into something a little bit more uh, modern. We're also going to be uh, expanding the back half of the office into a large training conference negotiating room and a room large enough that we would actually be able to support an MEC meeting right here in the Alpa offices, something we haven't been able to do just because of the size of the MEC for several years. So we're happy to be able to do that. Um, last thing that I want to talk about before we move on to our briefing is I'd like to say thank you to Captain Dave Zergot, who was our outgoing vice chairman. Dave has been part of the airline uh, even long before I actually got here. He was originally hired by Pinnacle, and he always likes to say I was hired, not acquired. Uh, but he was originally hired by Pinnacle and has been doing MEC work just about his entire 15 or 16 year career here at the airlines. He has always been willing to step up in any position, the MEC, the pilot group, or I have asked him to step up in, and he has served with absolute uh, uh, distinction. 
and I can't say enough really good things about him. He decided to step back so that a new vice chair could have some time to work under me, was originally going to be Sam, um, before my departure. But, you know, we'll have to make a different decision now uh, come the January meeting, which is, which is fine. Um, and he moved back on to a negotiating committee member just to fill that gap for a little while. So, David, thank you for all your years of service. We really do appreciate that. All right, uh, moving on to the first topic tonight, which is going to be a briefing on the career advancement plan. So approximately two weeks ago, we were excited and happy to announce that we were able to reach an agreement with the company for a guaranteed and contractual career progression model for not just pilots hired before June 3rd, but all pilots at Endeavor. And most importantly, not just pilots that are currently here, but pilots that will reside here in the future. That has been our ultimate goal all along, and it was very, very nice uh, to be able to finally achieve that. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time talking about the components of the deal. The document has been sent out to you. We fielded some questions. The reception has been overwhelmingly positive. But I do want to highlight a few things that may not readily be apparent to the pilot group as far as value on our side is concerned. And I want to make sure that you understand that before we get to the ratification and voting phase of, of our process, which is likely to occur this Friday. The first thing that I want to highlight is that, again, this meets our baseline goal of guaranteed and contractual career progression in an objective-based system for all the pilots of Endeavor. This has been our longtime goal. A lot of times people will ask me about why do we focus on career progression. I'm going to answer that more, I guess, uh, intimately when we get down to why we're going to stop the progression for all campaign. But for now, we do that because it is the most valuable goal that we can achieve. This... This agreement will, again, cover all pilots at Endeavor currently here and in the future. And in the event that inside the Delta Pilot Working Agreement, specifically Section 1B47F, Exception 2, which we've talked ad nauseum about uh, since LOA 125, if that were ever to be modified to the point where we it would have an impact on our flow agreement or our flow agreement would cease, all pilots would be covered under this new plan. And we needed that fallback uh, program for a certain level of security. So we were happy to be able to achieve that. Another benefit of this deal is it runs concurrently with our JCBA. And I know that most pilots are saying, well, shouldn't it run concurrently with the JCBA? Yes, it should. But in the springtime negotiations, and again, um, in the uh, fall winter negotiations, the company's original offer on the cap was only to run it six to 12 months beyond our amendable date. And we said that really doesn't work for us. Um, the Railway Labor Act, in many respects, we feel like hamstrings us. This is why we've seen contracts in the industry stall out for years, sometimes a decade or more. Um, one of the advantages when it does stall out is it doesn't. the contract doesn't cancel. It simply just becomes amendable and continues under those same terms. Those terms may be stagnant, and you know pilots sometimes aren't able to achieve uh, retro pay or retro benefits. And so it becomes very, very difficult at times uh, when your contract stag stagnates like that. We said, well, given the fact that we have this kind of risk exposure, we want this benefit to just run concurrently with the JCBA. And again, it kind of took right up until the very end to make that happen. But now the only way that the career advancement plan is going to cease at this property is either the standard out clauses, which is ALPA is no longer the representative of the pilots of Endeavor Air, Endeavor Air is either sold or divested by Delta. Again, those are standard out clauses. Or the company comes back and bargains away from this deal. 
I've said before, but it's worth embarrass repeating here. One of the one of the things that you should look for in any type of negotiating deal is not necessarily what was achieved during that deal, but what you set yourself up for in the future. And I think that we did a really good job here of making sure that if this program is ever going to go away, we have some say in that. Maybe the strategic objectives of um, the pilot group later changes, and this would create a bargaining opportunity which could unlock value for you. Um, and the last thing is, and this is probably the the most important um, aspect of the CAP program. Um, it's the fact that we now represent career progression for pilots here, pilots that will be coming here, and it's contractual and it's guaranteed. And the reason I say that is because three times in the past, once in 2014 with the Endeavor to Delta program, again in 2015 with the Delta Guaranteed Interview, and I think around the 2018 timeframe with Propel, Three times Delta has introduced uh, programs that circumvent collective bargaining, and they circumvent our ability to represent you under a contractual program, um, thereby weakening our ability to represent you and weakening our relationships with management. Fortunately, we have some very strong leaders over the years that have been able to see their way through um, what I would call some missteps um, on Delta and Endeavor's part is, in terms of those agreements um, and circumventing the collective bargaining agent. We were able to navigate through that, keep our relationship strong, keep bargaining moving forward. And now we have a program that once and for all will absolutely guarantee that we have set the precedent that we represent new hire and current pilots and their career progression track. So I want to make sure that that's not lost on anyone. Now, real quickly before I turn it over to Sam, just some of the main components of the career advancement plan program. Total service requirement of 54 months. The company was originally seeking 60. They did back that down to uh, 54 based upon a recommendation from us that you want this to look as competitive as possible. Uh, we don't necessarily think 54 months is going to be what is needed to be competitive, and this will probably lend, uh, lead into retention discussion, so I won't belabor the point. But the agreement is 54 total months with 24 of those as captains. As far as training failures... Uh, the company wanted to say more than two training failures, you would never be able to participate in this program. We were able to back them off, and now it is if you have no more than two training failures in a 36-month period, you will be able to participate. And what that means is it's just a 36-month look back. So as long as you don't have more than two training failures in the previous 36 months, you can still proceed under the cap. And if you do have more than two, you just have to wait until those are removed and that 36-month um, look back only produces that one training failure. Uh, same thing with attendance and reliability and discipline letters. As long as there are no attendance, uh, reliability, and discipline letters that are active in your file, you will be able to participate. In the event that you do have one in your file, you simply have to wait until it is removed. Uh, one of the big things that we were able to accomplish is the no college degree requirement. And while I know it's not going to be you know, real important to most, it is going to be important to some. Now, Delta had some hesitations in, in removing this um, permanently inside a contractual program because they, they always wanted to maintain flexibility, but we said maintaining flexibility doesn't really give a whole lot of weight to a contract. So what we did was we came up to a compromise, and we said we will allow Delta to reserve the right to change the parameters of this and add a college degree back into the requirements at a date that they so choose. They simply have to advise the association. However, everybody that was currently here before that change was made and any pilot coming here in the next 90 days will be grandfathered in under the previous terms. 
That's, that's obviously going to be very important, and we do the same thing with the attendance and absenteeism policy. Uh, the cap start date will not uh, begin until the last notice of flow opportunity and flow pilot has had an opportunity to take advantage of that. And when they do start, they're going to move to Delta at a rate of 20 per month or 50% of each hiring class, whichever is less. Also, the resignation timeline for the CAP program will mirror that of 125, which means you're going to receive the standard week or, well, I should say the standard week before your class date. You could request two weeks prior or you could request to work right up until um, the, day that, the day before that you go to Delta. Um, so we will mirror uh, the same terms and conditions of 125. So that's about all I have on the CAP. For the other strategic uh, priorities that the company sought, and more importantly, the ones that we're seeking uh, in return, I'd like to turn it over to uh, Sam. Thanks, Nick. So as Nick explained, when we opened negotiations with the company for the career advancement plan, they were initially seeking sort of a standard quid pro quo negotiation. In other words, they were willing to discuss the career advancement program, but only in the context initially of us giving up some contractual latitude to them. And we made it very clear from the onset that that was simply not an option. And that wasn't even the MEC that was necessarily making that so. It was really the industry, right? We're seeing the American wholly owned carriers put into place a retention program. And again, we don't want to jump the gun on that. Nick will address that later. But they're really negotiating with the industry right now and not not so much negotiating with us. And so we said to them, if you need to engage with us on these contractual issues, then we can do what we can always do, which is negotiate quid pro quo. But the career advancement program will need to stand on its own. And so that's why you see a clean cap uh, tentative, agree tentative agreement before you. So obviously, attrition continues to be a major issue. The company is attempting to continue to staff the airline with the same number of flights and fewer pilots. And that means that they're looking for ways to run the operation more efficiently to stretch the pilot group over uh, the same amount of flights with fewer pilots. And so that is really what you're going to hear as we run through what their asks were. Now, we're not going to go totally down the rabbit hole of what their asks are. It's very early on in this process. It's highly likely that what we ultimately end up with the deal is not going to include everything we talk about. It could include some stuff we, ha we have, not, have not yet talked about, or it in could include... Uh, some variations on what we're talking about. But we thought it would be helpful to at least give you some ideas to the company asks and some idea to our asks. And one more item, kind of again in the vein of retention, is that we don't yet have much to report on retention. Nick will explain more with that. But because of that, this will need to have a little bit of a retention component as far as we're concerned, that this may not be able to be just a pure net neutral uh, program that we will be looking to make some headway because of the fact that we don't have a retention program in place. And if we later need to correct for that with the retention program, then we can go ahead and do so. So right off the bat, where the company is asking for a lot of the latitude is in the training department. And so for the full-time instructors that are listening to the call, we will follow our process as we have always followed our process. And so if those requests continue to be forefront, then we will continue to communicate with the department as we always have. And so for the FTIs on the call, know that, you know, keep your eyes and ears open for coming communications as we seek potential feedback to these issues. But uh, 
a really good example of something that they're seeking from the training department is uh, some flexibility with regards to non-seniority list instructors. And so the company under Section 1 scope of our contract is entitled to have in a certain number of non-seniority list instructors and have those instructors teach certain events. For example, if we're talking about initial qualification, to oversimplify it, the non-seniority list instructor can do everything through maneuvers training, but the non-seniority list instructors can never do checking. And so one of the things that the company has approached us is, would it be possible for a non-seniority list instructor to do checking events? And we have some pretty strong ideological opposition to that for a number of reasons. We want someone checking our pilots who's intimately familiar with the operation, and that's largely only possible with a seniority list instructor. We want to make sure that that pilot is being fairly evaluated. Uh, and so all of these things lend themselves to seniority list instructor checking. Now, one very narrow circumstance that we are willing to contemplate would be a former seniority list instructor who did checking events, who has since retired from Endeavor, is now a non-seniority list instructor, uh, and for whom the association would both sign off initially and continue to have oversight prerogative too uh, during their time as a checking non-seniority list instructor. So basically that we have to continue to sign off on this individual doing those events. So you can see that we're willing to talk to them on these issues, but they need to be really narrowly uh, written. Uh, the training department is kind of sacrosanct for us. It's important for our pilots to have good training. Some other items that are a lot more simple, for example, are same tail deadhead connection times, what we commonly call same tail swap, which is if you're going to deadhead in and then operate out or vice versa on the same aircraft that the company would have the ability to exempt that from the deadhead connection time. That's something that they sort of already have as part of the pairing construction process. It's just that it has to be done during pairing construction, which is basically a month in advance. Uh, and so this would allow them to instead do it on a day-to-day -day basis. Something that we've talked to you folks before about is RGS to LMS. Right now, we're still doing basically RGS, uh, the same as in person. We're just doing it via WebEx. The company would like to see that transition over to LMS. That helps them in efficiency because, first of all, they don't need an instructor teaching that class anymore, so it helps free up an instructor. And it also frees up the pilot because the pilot would no longer be in RGS for several days during their base uh, during their base month. So that's something that the company is interested in seeing. And you know, along with that, we would want to see an increase in LMS pay. We know that the pilot group wants to see LMS pay increase. The MEC wants to see LMS pay increase. And so at a bare minimum, we would want to see the modules associated with the RGS to LMS conversion be paid at a higher rate. It's also worth noting that at this time, we have an open grievance with the company with regards to the Delta assigned LMS modules. Those include the HR modules, the information security modules. Uh, there's a section of our contract that prohibits basically extraneous modules from being assigned. There's an open grievance with regards to those modules. And so this may be an opportunity for us to clean that up, either by agreeing with the company that those modules are in fact prohibited or by agreeing to pay them at some higher rate. Another issue is increasing LCP pay. The company's having a very difficult time attracting a sufficient number of LCPs, and so they would like to increase LCP pay. That's pretty straightforward. Like I said, there are some other asks. We don't want to go too far down the rabbit hole on them, but you know, we can spend a little bit more time talking about what our asks look like. It's worth noting that in any negotiations, it helps if we can make our asks make sense. And so to the extent that the company is seeking efficiencies, the more that we can make our asks uh, at least not exacerbate their staffing issues is helpful for us to achieve them. And so, for example, something we've talked to the pilot group about already is a sick bank payout so that when a pilot uh, separates from Endeavor either by going to Delta 
or by retiring from Endeavor that they're paid out for their sick bank. And the reason why we're talking with them about restricting it to movement to Delta or retirement from Endeavor is that they would like to see it act as a as sort of a retention tool. Uh, otherwise, you know, what we do see is that pilots tend to call out sick more often as their separation date approaches. The company's aware of that fact. And of course, again, when you're tight staffed and you need every pilot flying as much as possible, the, you know, anything you can do to keep that pilot flying as opposed to at home helps the operation. Uh, similarly, we're talking uh, about a vacation payout. We often hear from pilots frustrated that vacation in almost all circumstances, when you reach the end of the year, if it was unbid, you lose it. You, you aren't paid out for it. You can't roll it over. And so we're engaging on that topic as well, so that by the time you get to the end of the year, if you didn't use your vacation, you would be paid out for it. This, again, has the advantage of a pilot not bidding for a week of vacation with no intention of, of really doing anything with it. You know, they, they could otherwise simply be flying in that period. And it also would help a junior pilot. You know, if a senior pilot's going to hold that vacation week and would otherwise not really need it, and the only reason they're doing it is to ensure that they're, you know, effectively being paid for that vacation week, well, that junior pilot might otherwise want it. So that would help that pilot out as well. We're also looking to remove premium pay offset most folks are probably aware, but in a bid period in which you call out sick, you reduce your eligibility for premium pay. And of course, the problem there is if you call in sick at the beginning or the middle part of the bid period, you're much less likely to pick up at the end of the bid period. And so we would like to remove that disincentive from picking up. We think that it unfairly harms pilots. And by removing that disincentive, again, it helps the company further staff the operation. Uh, a very simple quid that we've talked about before is front-end alternate deadhead. I don't think that that requires too much explanation. And finally, as I alluded to earlier, an LMS pay increase, you know, especially if we're talking about a conversion from RGS into LMS, then that's something that uh, is something that we would explore. There's a, there are some other uh, minor items, for example, enhancing the delay into day off language, such that it's a higher premium and or, and or that it's easier to earn a comp day, ensuring a time frame for build-up lines. Uh, you know, if you have a, plan, a combination of planned activities that prevents PBS from assigning you a regular schedule, excuse me, or if you complete training and we're not an eligible bidder for that period, you need to get a build-up line. We just want to make sure pilots know when to expect their schedules. Uh, and another item would be door pay. We've recently seen the company really, uh, over the past year, and it's calmed down some, but we've seen them really hammer on latency, right, which is when you block out and are not yet able to push back. Let me take a moment and emphasize to our pilots, you are entitled to block out, and we ask that you do block out at D-5. So if you close the door at D-8, the company is within their rights to prohibit you from blocking out until D-5. As soon as D-5 comes, it doesn't matter if you're ready to push back or not please drop the break and get that block out time. Otherwise, you're losing pay. But we would rather just make this whole issue moot. We would rather just see that as soon as the parking, excuse me, as soon as the door is closed, that you are able to start getting paid. And similarly, we see some pilots every month who fumble the block-in procedure. They forget to recycle the parking break, and that causes them to lose some pay. So just cleaning that up, ensuring that you're getting paid for when you're in command of the aircraft, that gives you some idea of the various asks we're looking for. Again, it's very far in the beginning of this process. The final product will almost certainly not contain all of those things, but just to give you an idea of where things are trending right now. All right. Thanks, Sam. Thanks for that brief. And I'm sure we'll probably be taking some questions um, from the pilot group regarding the information that you just presented. So thank you so much.
All right, we're going to kick it back to me for just a moment before moving on to Carl, and I'm going to talk about the conclusion of the Progression for All campaign. And please keep in mind that this assumes that we are going to ratify this tentative agreement uh, on an MEC conference call on Friday. Thus far, as I've said before, the feedback has been overwhelmingly positive. We expect that it's going to be positive here. In fact, if there's been anything that is said, it's just uh, good job on the cap, guys. Where's my money? And we understand that, and I'll talk a little bit more about that in retention. But let's talk about uh, the conclusion of the Progression for All campaign. In order to do that, I want to talk a little bit about why career progression. And I I released a chairman's letter uh, recently that really kind of talked about this. But now that I've got a little bit of uh, face-to-face time with you guys, so to speak, um, let's just go into it. Um, Career progression represents everything that our pilots want, and it represents it in quantities that are not achievable in the fee-for-departure model. So when I ask pilots, okay, what do you want rather than career progression? You know, they say, well, I want, you know, profit sharing, and I want better pay, and retirement, and work rules, and I want past travel, and I want all of these things, and job security. You know, I remind pilots that we will get every single one of those, and again, in quantities that we cannot get at a regional airline, uh, just by securing progression. And as we try to secure progression, we're not going to hamper our ability to get interim um, bargaining opportunities and objectives completed. I've also said this uh, on many occasions. We have been literally the most active bargaining agent in ALPA since the inception of the JCBA. So for the last 10 years, a little over 10 years, we have bargained. uh, This will be, I think, LOA 129. Um, Nobody has done more letters of agreement than we have. Nobody has further and advanced their strategic objectives than we have. And it's one of the big reasons why for many years and up until the AA announcement recently, We were the highest paid pilots and the best compensated pilots in the industry. And when I would talk to to new hire pilots that would come in, I said, you know, what brought you here? And many times the response was, you guys have a very strong contract. So we didn't let career progression hamper our ability to still make interim um, improvements that you guys have all enjoyed. And I hope that that point uh, is recognized. We also talk about career progression because we hold seniority to be sacrosanct in our lives for everything. We hold it sacrosanct for the seat that we occupy, the aircraft that we operate, the domicile that we work out of, the schedule that we receive, the kind of pay, compensation, retirement, vacation. We hold it sacrosanct for everything except advancement. And I think that that has been a a glaring hole, not just really at Endeavor, but really within the ALPA Association. If we truly believe that strength is our is our unity, then we need to be putting together programs that help ALPA pilots advance. I believe in collaborative managerial labor relationships. I believe that the synergies that you can unlock from that uh, can provide a, a tremendous amount of value. But we have been comfortable for too long with a system where promotion within our ranks, you know, from what has been described as, you know, double A ball or triple A ball to a a major league level has been determined unilaterally by a managerial controlled program. And I just think that there is certainly a better way to do that, again, especially if you believe that strength is our unity throughout the association. So not only does career progression represent something really good for the pilots of Endeavor, it also represents something really good for the fee-for-departure industry and ALPA as a whole. And that really goes back into pattern bargaining, and we'll talk about that during the retention. So let's talk about why PFA was launched. Uh, For most pilots, Progression for All was kind of the first sign that the Endeavor MEC was seriously pursuing career progression. But the reality is we were seriously pursuing it years before that. We just knew that there were a number of objectives that we had to complete before we would likely get to Progression for All. 
Some of those objectives were repairing the contract uh, from bankruptcy. Uh, we gave up $138 million worth of concessions in 2012-2013. We had to repair some of those concessions. We had pilots that couldn't make mortgage payments, and, and that's, not, um, you know, that's not false. That was, that's a very, very true statement. We went from the senior captains making $130,000, $40,000 a year to being capped out at below ninety. So we had some work to do on that front right from the beginning. We also had to wait until the industry shifted, uh, the pendulum shifted a little bit into our favor to be able to capitalize on those. And we also had to not only repair the contract, we had to repair senior pilot pay and senior pilot retirement, which we did during 91. But after LOE 91, which was completed at the end of 2017 and implemented in 18, we said, okay, now it is time to pursue career progression. And how do we want to go about that? The other reason um, that we wanted to pursue it is what I had said before, and that is three times with the Endeavor to Delta program, the Delta Guaranteed Interview, and Propel, we had seen Delta kind of circumvent collective bargaining in terms of advancement and career progression for new hire pilots. And so we wanted to put an end to that because we were very sensitive of it. So we kind of developed this um, strategic plan to try to unlock career progression. And our first step wasn't to take it public. Our first step was actually to meet privately with Delta and Endeavor to see if we could solve this problem. And one of the things that I told the MEC at the time as the negotiating committee chair is we're only going to get positive traction, not just by producing a solution to them, but understanding how our solution might cause them um, some concern. For instance, they've always been concerned about quality control, as any well-run business is. So we kind of thought, okay, can we have a guaranteed and contractual and objective-based system but also that includes gates that pilots can earn the promotion and show that they've met the Delta standard. And that was really kind of where the cap was born from. I remember back in 2018, I had several meetings with Delta, and ironically, it was actually with our now CEO, Jim Graham. He was the um, VP of uh, Flight Ops at the time, but I met with Jim. Uh, then I met with Jim and Patrick Burns, who is the system chief uh, 119 pilot down at uh, Delta. Then I met with Patrick Burns and Beth Poole on a couple occasions, and then Patrick um, by himself right at the end. And unfortunately, we weren't able to come to a deal at that point in time. Uh, Delta wasn't ready to, to pull the trigger. Um, but we just said, okay, we understand that you're not ready, but this still is part of our strategic objectives and our business plan and the most important commodity that, that we could achieve. So we have to take the next step. And that next step was taking the campaign or taking the progression for all message visible to the pilots so that not only could you participate in it, but management could see our resolve and our unity towards achieving uh, guaranteed and contractual career progression for all of the pilots. So I want to sincerely thank you for everybody that supported PFA, Warrior Orange Lanyard, kept up with union communications, and were very positive throughout this. We would not have achieved that without that support. And so I really, really want to say thank you so much for making that happen. The mission for Progression for All, obviously, locally, was to get the Endeavor pilots on over to Delta. But again, getting this also strengthens our industry, and that is a key point that I don't want anyone to miss. Pattern bargaining is key in, in, in this industry, but especially at the fee-for-departure level. And by us being able to achieve this and what's going on at the American properties and some rumors that I'm hearing at UAX, this is a really, really great time and a really exciting time um, as as to what could be coming down the pipeline for us. 
Um, as the as the progression for all campaign unfolded, I will tell you that we learned some lessons on things that you responded well to, things that you didn't respond well to, and we're certainly going to take that back. And if we ever do a campaign in the future, we're gonna we're gonna take those lessons learned, and we're gonna make sure that uh, we put those um, put those lessons into practice. But I hope you guys learn some things from us as well. Again, staying true to your goals you know, staying true to the course and to the mission and how that can lead you to a successful outcome. Um, the last point that I want to make about um, the PFA campaign concluding is we did change the sub-slogan um, at one point based primarily on your feedback from hats off lanyards on to advancing Alpha pilots. And I've also said uh, on many occasions, it's not about just Endeavor, it's about all of us. So I understand that, you know, when you take a look at the UAX properties, the United um, uh, carriers, they don't have progression right now, yet we're going to pull down our campaign. There is some fairly serious talk that something is going to have to happen at those properties in the not-too-distant future. And I feel like we have a really good blueprint of success that we could share with them and we're willing to share with them uh, to help them get there. And if they do want to take up that that torch or that mantle, we want to show solidarity with our brothers and sisters. So even though we will be switching um, probably here very shortly from our orange lanyards back to our standard blue lanyards, I want to make sure that you guys don't uh, discard your progression for all campaign lan lanyards because you may be putting them on again in the future to help um, our, our brothers and sisters at the other fever departure carriers. Um, in the coming weeks, you should expect a blue lanyard to be mailed to your house uh, from Alpa National. So please make sure your address is up to date uh, with Alpa. And that way we make, can make sure that you've got uh, our normal lanyard in your hand and we would ask for your support. And I want to say once again, thank you so much for everything that you did. Thank you for making this a reality. Um, now let's move on from that over to Carl, who's going to talk to you about some Section 19s. Carl, it's all yours, sir. Thank you. Uh, as Nick referenced earlier, uh, the MEC has seen an uptick in the number of Section 19s that are being issued uh, for sexual harassment uh, allegations. And uh, we thought it would be prudent to take a few minutes and um, address the issue so as to avoid uh, surprise uh, on anyone's part uh, in dealing with these types of matters. Uh, the uptick in sexual harassment cases um, has been a little bit concerning for a couple of different reasons. The first is that they're uh, happening more frequently. Uh, the second is the uh, punishment that the company is exercising their discretion to hand down. Um, it should come as no surprise to anyone, I think, that the Flight Operations Manual at Endeavor prohibits sexual harassment. That's not controversial. All companies have that. Uh, and not surprisingly, there is discretion on the part of the company as to what uh, punishments they can mete out for uh, anybody who violates the sexual harassment provisions of the agreement. Um, punishments can range anywhere from verbal coaching uh, to letters of warning to suspensions all the way up to termination. Uh, in the past, uh, the company has uh, utilized many 
of these different gradations of punishment to address a variety of situations. But what we've noticed recently is that uh, the punishments that they're meeting out are becoming increasingly more serious up to the point of termination. And there have been some instances where um, when people thought they were joking, when they thought they weren't offending anybody, somebody was offended, somebody made a complaint to HR, and HR and the company have made the decision to terminate the pilot as a result. And what's concerning in that circumstance is that really for any issue in a CBA, the point of a CBA is to put people on notice of what the policies are, what the punishments are, same thing with the flight operations manual. And punishments really shouldn't come as a surprise to pilots. And uh, there have been a couple of instances where pilots have been very surprised that they're facing potential termination as a result of what they thought was a single joke. Uh, so obviously no joking matter. We wanted to raise this with you. Um, part of the surprise in some of these situations is the context uh, in which the complaints take place. Oftentimes, it, you know, the pilot may not be on duty. They may be off duty. They may be at a bar or a restaurant with coworkers, and they may think that they're friends, and they may think that they're just engaging in friendly banter. But all of a sudden, they make uh, a joke that references something explicitly sexual, and someone takes offense, and that comment gets elevated to HR, and what sounds very innocent, what sounds friendly at a bar or a restaurant at 11 o'clock at night doesn't sound so friendly and innocent in a Section 19 hearing in Minneapolis at 8.30 on Monday morning. So uh, be careful. Um, I think that obviously, as I said before, no surprise that sexual harassment is something that nobody should do. But on the other hand, I think some people have been very surprised that what they thought was seemingly innocent jokes and, and things of that nature uh, have been elevated to pretty, pretty serious consequences. So if you have any questions, if you have any concerns, obviously, you know, it's reasonable for the company to expect that uh, there will be a discrimination-free environment. Everybody has the right to do their job, not be offended, not be put down, not to be made feel or not made to feel bad or to be feel, felt uh, poorly. But um, that being said, you know, uh, be careful because um, the company is uh, acting differently from our opinion. So. Word of caution, that's all I've got, Nick. Excellent, Carl. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Um, okay, our last topic of discussion is probably the one that most of you want to listen to or hear about. And like I said before, you know, it's great that we did CAP, right? Um, I think a lot of us expected that to happen because once we broke through that barrier of flow, CAP somewhat became inevitable. Um, but now the question is, what about retention, right? What about responding to the American Airlines deal? And I'm sure we probably have several questions in the queue already uh, that, is that are going to be asking this, but we'll address it right here. Um, 
So let me tell you what I've been doing as far as the retention portion has has been concerned. So two days after uh, Javits, who was the arbitrator that overheard uh, the Delta grievance uh, regarding 1B47F exception 2, two days after Javits ruled uh, in favor to uphold Delta's ability to operate the 35 RJs and our ability to receive the flow, American Airlines came out with this revolutionary $150,000 per pilot retention program. And so I had a few thoughts immediately. Number one, obviously something was already in the works. Uh, They didn't throw something together within 48 hours. I do think that the number probably changed once our flow agreement was upheld because I think the powers to be at American realized that now Endeavor has a flow and while it may not um, capture new hires, they're probably going to work on new hires in the not-too-distant future. And so we need to make a splash so that we don't get behind the power curve. That was my first thought. My second thought was, wow, $150,000. Back in 2000 and uh, I think it was 14, we did a four-year $80,000 retention program, and that was unheard of in the fee-for-departure industry. And this is kind of just blowing it out of the water. I thought this is going to do a really great job for your recruitment. It's going to do a really good job for your hiring. It's not going to do anything for your retention. Not a darn thing. Um, and that's because, number three, we all understand that pilots are not leaving because of money. Yes, there is more money to be made in the low-cost carrier realm. There's more money to be made at a legacy uh, carrier than there is in the fee-for-departure network. But fee-for-departure pilots are, especially compared to five, eight, ten years ago, they're better compensated than they than they ever have been before in this segment of the industry. And they're not pilots are not necessarily chasing money. They're chasing seniority and seniority paired with longevity, because that not only gives you money, but that gives you everything else. I already said that seniority in our industry is sacrosanct because it controls our lives, from quality of life to days off to holidays off to equipment to commuting to not commuting. We know what it controls. People are chasing seniority, and they're chasing it at the low-cost carriers more now than ever before because the low-cost carrier contracts are very, very close, and in some respects, they're meeting or exceeding legacy contracts at this point. And so Endeavor really is experiencing an attrition problem. We know it. I think Endeavor realizes it. But we have got to obviously get Delta there to understand that. And if I'm just going to speak candidly here, Delta is having a very, very difficult time accepting that not everybody is going to wait for a job at Delta. Yes, they are arguably the best carrier to go to in many respects, and have been for probably about 20 years. But there are also some other very, very, very good and lucrative options. Pilots are pursuing those. Pilots are showing through the data points they're not going to stay. Okay, They're not going to stay. They're going to move on. And so the only thing that's going to keep a pilot here, the true solution, is going to be some type of seniority. And when I say seniority, I mean seniority and longevity. So I'll just say seniority from here on out. Uh, But some type of seniority-based system. So As soon as that announcement came out, I dispatched three calls, uh, Russ Elander, Jim Graham, and Jason Ambrosi. You guys are very familiar with the names Russ Elander and Jim Graham. For those of you that may not be familiar with Jason Ambrosi, he is the Delta MEC chairman. And I just had a discussion with all of them, and I just said, I think that seniority is going to be the ticket. I think that's the solution that's actually going to work. Um, The way that I, um, you know, described it to um, both the company and to the Delta MEC chairman uh, was that... We want the right solution here at Endeavor. And from the Delta MEC's perspective, they don't necessarily want to see a 
retention, a monetary-based retention program come here, they would rather see that money put inside the PWA for the Delta pilots. Now, when I say that, I want to make something very clear right here, so I'm going to just take a pause. Yes, we're pursuing seniority. Yes, we think that's the ultimate solution. But we also recognize that there is not an insignificant amount of you, I think probably right around 150, Sam, that are in protected rights? Probably right around Some, there. Somewhere around there. That have chosen to, to keep your careers here at Endeavor, you must be recognized as well. Okay, We're not overlooking that. What we would have to do is monetize whatever seniority benefit that we received, we would have to come up to some agreement to make sure that you were recognized as well. It would just, yours would be a, a monetary benefit uh, exclusively. Um, so please, when I say seniority, understand that we are still advocating for representation for protected rights pilots. Um, anyways, I said, I think seniority is the answer for a lot of different reasons. But getting seniority requires Delta and the Delta MEC to come to some level of mutual agreement or concurrence. And there are some things that are complicating that. Right now, their contract is open inside Section 6, and the Delta MEC looks like they're, they're planning on re-engagement. Neither side, I think, is, is hungry um, to be the first to engage on something like this, especially when Section 6 items could soon be in play. Maybe we see an agreement uh, before that. Maybe we see agreement in Section 6. Maybe we don't see an agreement at all. We're not sure. I do know that when I've talked to the leadership here at Endeavor, I think one of their preferences would be kind of a sampling of benefits. Uh, maybe some money, some seniority, maybe some other types of retention tools. Think, you know, sick bank payout or something along those lines. I think that would be their preference to kind of do a a smorgasbord, so to speak, of, of benefits. Now, one of the things that um, you should know right off the bat is the company has been very clear in all of their communications internally with us that no matter what they do, let's say they go down a monetary path only, we should expect, and, and these are their words, a significantly less offer than what was given to the American Airlines pilots. And it's because of that mentality that Everybody wants the job at Delta, and people are willing to wait. Now, I know that you might be saying, well, that's not true in the data showing that, and we tend to agree with you, but at the same time, a free lunch is a free lunch. And so if they're going to come in and they're going to offer us you know, some money without any type of, of contractual quids or contractual relief, we could do something separate on the side, but if the, the, if the meat and potatoes of the agreement is we're going to walk in with some type of straight monetary retention offer where we're not giving anything up, it's unlikely the MEC is going to say no to that. Because as we've learned in the past through retention, if it's not enough, they're going to come in with more. Remember, the original retention plan was only a two-year, $30,000 program. And within 30 days, Ryan Gum, our then CEO, picked up the phone and called Gil West up at uh, Delta and said, it's not working. It didn't have the desired effect. We're not getting people that have just resigned to come back, and I'm not able to hire. And a two-year $30,000 program turned into a four-year $80,000 program over a late-night phone call. And so when you want to move fast, obviously you can. And I think the data is going to, to push them to make a decision here sooner rather than later. Thus far, the responses that I've received um, from the parties that be that we've spoken about have been extremely positive. Again, it's just trying to get those parties together. Right now, we don't have any meeting dates scheduled for retention. We've talked about or they've indicated to us they'd like to start discussions before the end of this year, but again, nothing has been solidified. Um, so I wanted to just kind of give you a little bit of an update on retention and kind of what our goals are. I 
probably could say more about this, but I'll pause right here because like I said, I, I've already seen some of the email questions and I know that uh, that is on the pilot's minds. And so we'll probably have an opportunity to talk about it uh, in a little bit more depth uh, here in just, a, just about another couple minutes. So that kind of brings us to the end of our briefing. And so we're going to start moving into the Q&A uh, section. So as we move into the Q&A, one of the things that I want to remind all the, the phone callers uh, to do is please mute your viewing device and listen to only your phone audio while you're on hold. So if you're watching us um, streaming live on YouTube, please turn down your computer volume and just listen uh, to the call through um, your phone so that we don't get any type of uh, feedback. If you would like to call in, um, please dial 612-662-9825. That's 612-662-9825. And press star one and you'll be put in the queue. What we'll do is we'll start answering some email questions just to get us started to let some people get into the queue. But once we have three or four callers in the queue, we'll, we'll certainly take them. Um, if you are going to call in, you will also hear an audible sound um, that says on air with the chair. And that will be your cue that you are live and you're ready to ask your question. If you don't want to join us on the queue, and most people do email, you could always do edvonair at alpa.org. That's edvonair at alpa.org. Okay, so we're going to start off with a couple of email questions. And for the first question, I think uh, I'll turn it over to Sam, if that's okay. Sure. So an Atlanta First Officer, Hampton McDonald, writes, given the clear and consistently demonstrated priorities of the fa past few years, the ratification of this tentative agreement is what we all believe to be certain. What is the Master Executive Council's plan for capturing quality of life improvements for the pilots on property during their time here going forward? What does the Master Executive Council see as priorities within the quality of life space as it relates to the JCBA? And thank you for all of your tireless dedication to, uh, for Endeavor Alpha pilots. So as we kind of discussed earlier, and hopefully we kind of touched on some of these points earlier, especially when I was talking about what uh, any potential quid pro quo package could look like in, in the near-term future. There are any, way, any number of ways that we can try and pursue quality of life improvements. There are also, you know, and I, hopefully you were in tune for that, I won't repeat those for the sake of time, but there are any number of other ways that the MEC would like to see quality of life improve. Obviously, with the onset of the COVID pandemic and the recovery, we have not seen schedules return quite as strongly as we would like. We often hear from pilots that they're frustrated by schedule efficiency. And so that's something that we know we would like to see be improved upon. Uh, and so, you know, for example, a strategic priority of the MEC is uh, trip and duty rig, where uh, it, it ensures that you're paid for <clears throat> a certain ratio uh, of time uh, that you're on duty. So when we talk about a duty rig, it, it may be, for example, a two-to-one duty rig. For every two hours of duty you perform, you're paid at least one hour. Now, to be very clear, when we talk about trip and duty rigs, we usually are not talking about a pilot actually seeing their pay increase. That may happen. For example, the, you know, I'm a CRJ 200 pilot. We see some pretty inefficient duty days. But more often with trip and duty rig, what we're actually talking about is strongly incentivizing the company to build more efficient pairings. By building more efficient pairings, you create shorter duty days with higher credit. That has two effects. Obviously, a shorter duty day is generally desirable. The other desire is that by creating more efficient pairings, by encouraging those pairings to go above 
above minimum day pay, you force more credit into a shorter period and increase days off. So that, you know, I just picked kind of one facet that we can pay attention to as we continue to bargain with the company to try and improve quality of life. Uh, you know, obviously right now the company is very concerned with staffing, and so we've got to be somewhat sensitive to that. You've got to pick and choose what priorities you're going to bargain for at any given time. But improving quality of life, whether that's schedules or any other facet, remains a high priority for the MEC. Good. And uh, Peter's telling us that we already have two callers in the queue. So we're going to put our earpieces in here just for a second. And we're going to take our first caller. Hey, how's it going, guys? This is uh, Truman Stewart, Detroit 200 FO. Just wanted to say uh, thanks for everything you guys do. And uh, anybody who's fine with you guys, you uh, definitely deserve uh, to be purchased a beer. Um, I also really appreciate when you guys, when, uh, yeah, when, uh, when we do ask questions of you guys, you guys do a really good uh, job of explaining it, but also explaining the downsides to things that we may ask of. You're, you're on the inside, so a lot of times when we ask for something, we don't realize that there's probably a negative outcome from it. You explain the duty rig thing. Um, there could be a, a negative outcome of asking for that. So I really appreciate that as well. Um, I'll keep it short, but uh, the question I have is about uh, jump seating and if we're going to potentially have a way of um, booking that online. I know the Delta guys can do that. Um, and sometimes when you go to book a jump, it's very last minute and running up to that desk is um, sometimes not easy. No, you're right. And so what you're talking about is basically the same ability that Delta pilots have, which is to reserve the jump seat online. This has been something that I've spoken with Russ Elander about. Our former MEC chairman, uh, Jim Johnson, has spoken to the company about something that we've wanted to try to secure for quite some time. I think the company would like to secure it as well because it, it, it aids in your ability to get to work and it reduces unplanned absences. So there's a benefit for them. Um, of course, the you know the bottleneck there is Delta IT. Um, you know they've they've given us uh, a lot of roadblocks, a lot of obstacles, and kind of the runaround. My last stab at it was actually when we secured um, positive space commuting. Um, I tried to <laughs> tried to slyly put in there that uh, once the positive space commuting program was done, the company would um, have committed to and secured our ability to do that. You know, figuring, yeah, you got about 18 months or so, maybe longer, depending upon if it gets extended. Uh, hopefully you could get there. Um, unfortunately, the company didn't want to make that commitment, but it is certainly something that we're still looking at trying to get. Um, it's just we just have not really, unfortunately, received any great positive traction on it. But um, the good news is uh, when I guess Delta gives Endeavor the OK to do it, I don't think we're going to have to bargain over it. Because, again, as I said, Truman, it reduces unplanned absences. And especially in this environment where they need all hands on deck, uh, that is a big, big aid and big help to them. Well, I appreciate that. Uh, enjoy Delta, guys. Y'all deserve it. Thank you, bud. I appreciate it. Good evening. Oh, hey, guys. Uh, uh, this is. Oh, can you hear me? Yep, we got you now. Oh, hey, sorry. Uh, this is uh, Steve, uh, Detroit 900 captain. Hey, how you guys doing tonight? Good, Steve. How you doing? 
Good, good. Um, I'm sorry. I just had a couple quick questions. Um, uh, one, do you think, uh, obviously, there, you know, there was a number of us that had to turn down the flow for, you know, not being able to afford to take the couple-year cut, you know, and we've been here 20, 30 years, and we really want to to get to mainline, but do you think when it comes to seniority, longevity, uh, that would it, would it ever get to the point where they'll be like, hey, you know, you guys are on the list and, you, you know, you can fly the RJs and then bid up into mainline after, you know, would not without having to start over and pay, or is it just once you turn the flow down, they're just looking at a monetary compensation or retention type thing well, you... uh, for the, you know, for the senior pilots or well, I think for right now, Steve, what we're looking at is probably just either a monetary seniority or maybe, like I said, a, a conglomerate of all of the above at this point. Um, and it's not that we would not love to see what you're what you're alluding to. And really, let's face what what it is that you're alluding to. You're talking about a staple with offense. Um, do I think that that's where this industry could get pushed to? Yeah. I mean, there's been a lot of changes. I think if you would have said uh, to pilots back in 2012, 2013 in bankruptcy, and I know you were here uh, just by your longevity, that you know we were going to go from you know our topped out captains making $80,000 a year to a new hire FO making sixty in the period of the next five years, you probably would have thought we were crazy, right? But it did happen. And so I think with, right. yeah, it, it's kind of amazing, but it did happen. So I think with all the changes in the industry that have occurred, um, I don't think that what you're actually suggesting, which used to sound out of the realm of possibility, is out of the realm of possibility anymore. It's just a matter of timing. And, you know, Delta has proven time and time again that they like to take incremental steps rather than the big step. And so I think we're going to have to go through some of these incremental steps before we would see something uh, come to fruition like you're suggesting. I gotcha. And then, uh, you know, as far as, you know, for the, senior pilots or the pilots that got protected status if they you know if there's a monetary compensation is it something that's like a you know yearly check or something based on your years of service type money or was it something they just roll into your pay rates or you're, I guess you're not really sure yet yeah it's probably too early to tell if it's modeled anywhere near what the American properties uh, have it would be it really wouldn't be based upon years of service it would just be an equal amount applied to all pilots and there would probably be some gates as to when you would receive it the American Airlines property if you are not participating in the flow, you would get a yearly check for at least three years to go along of $40,000 to go along with your captain bonus of $30,000 that was handed on November 1st. I can't say what the structure of our payment is going to be because we don't know what the quantity is going to be and we don't know what the time frame is going to be. I think it's a little too early to tell that. But I can say with some level of confidence that if this is going to be a retention bonus, it probably will not be rolled into pay rates. It will probably be separate from that. Different. Okay. But uh, uh, assuming, hopefully, uh, as you mentioned, that uh, depending on the Delta or you know, the company getting discussions sometime this month or December or before the end of the year is what you're shooting for, hopefully, or it depends on what their appetite is, I guess, right? Well, you know, the nice thing is, you know, we're trying to, you know, put a deal together. But at the same time, we also understand that time is on our side. 
um, the more attrition that we experience, and I know that there's pain that is that is caused by that attrition, and it comes right down to schedule quality and understaffing and less days off for everybody. And I, I, under, I understand the pain. And in fact, the next question, which I'm probably going to give to Sam here, um, it covers that, I think, fairly well. Um, so we do understand that. We don't want to put our pilots through pain. But at the same time, the hungrier the um, Endeavor and Delta management get, the less staffing that we have, the the farther behind the power curve they get, the larger the benefit it's going to take to get us out of it. So strategically, yes, we want to advocate for something, but we're also okay just kind of buying our time as well, if that makes sense. Okay. Understand. Appreciate that. And I, I just had one quick question for Carl, if it's okay. Or... Oh, yeah, Carl, go for it. Shoot. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm sorry, uh, and, I, and I'm not sure how much you can say or whatever, but it, it's kind of you know scary what you're talking about there a little bit. But uh, have you noticed like you know some of the pilots that have either gotten in trouble or terminated, uh, you know, and weren't aware of what what they said or uh, you know are they able to you know do the pilots uh, have a leg to stand on as far as like getting their job back or a lawsuit or, I mean, you know, obviously we have, everyone has to watch what they're saying, but it's almost to the point where like, okay, I'm just going to go in the door at, after, you know, the day or flight and just, you know, slam click or whatever, not talk to anybody or <laughs> it's like, or is it, you know, pilots that were causing trouble or. It, well, uh, in answer to your question, uh, what's a little bit unsettling is, What's taking these pilots by surprise is they think that they're out maybe having some drinks with like-minded people and all of a sudden, you know, uh, conversation heads in a little bit sideways direction and they take things one step too far thinking they're in a safe environment. And our point uh, in giving this, you know, cautionary reminder is that when you're on duty, you know, whether you're on duty or off duty, when you're with your coworkers or if you're on social media, you're not in a safe place. And so be careful. Just avoid those uh, conversations because you might be surprised not only at what you say or the joke that gets you into trouble, you may be surprised by who turns you in, you know, and it may not even be the person that you're directing the joke to. It could be somebody else sitting at the table. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's very random as to, you know, what is being, you know, run up the chain to HR and what's not. I mean, you all know that it's pretty common to have off-color banter, you know, whether you're on duty or off duty. And right. it's it's very random as to what's making its way to HR. And people are being surprised that, you know, comments that they see, you know, probably hear from time to time, you know, out there uh, are being made such a big deal of. And so it's just a different environment, you know. I mean, this you've got the whole Me Too movement these days, and HR, for whatever reason, is being super sensitive to flight attendant complaints, other complaints that people are making about, you know, some things that a lot of the pilots would think would just be an off-color joke. So it's important to be careful. In, right. answer, in answer to your question about, you know, what – 
what is ALPA doing about it? What is your MEC doing about it? Of course, you know, when these situations arise, uh, we do our best to police the process. And we do that by comparing what the conduct alleged is, you know, in that circumstance with, you know, how that conduct has been treated in the past. And if it's been treated one way in the past and all of a sudden they're treating it differently and more extreme now, we're going to argue that that's disparate treatment and that, you know, the, the punishment should be less than, than what the company is seeking. So uh, there's a process for that and in, in the JCBA. Uh, the MEC is, is on alert here, and you know we're doing everything we can for pilots, trying to strike that balance between maintaining a good environment and, and protecting people from unduly harsh measures taken by the company. There's, there's two points that I'll tack on to that, okay. and, and one of which is just repeating what Carl has just said, which is that mo- most often wh- where we see the pilots leaving the train track, so to speak, is forgetting either who they're talking to or who is around them or anytime I write a professional standards communication, I always use kind of the same idea, which is just because the person you're sitting next to isn't speaking up and saying that they're uncomfortable or they don't agree with what you're saying doesn't mean that they aren't uncomfortable. It doesn't mean that they don't disagree with what you're saying. So in other words, just on-duty conduct or even off-duty conduct on a trip or off-duty conduct on social media. It can all be tied with workplace nexus and affect your employment. So just be mindful. You know, when you're sitting there in the cockpit and saying something to your coworker, just because they're being silent does not mean that they're in agreement. The second thing is when we're dealing with issues where we have coworker disagreement to the maximum maximum extent, we continue to encourage pilots to use professional standards. The company continues to encourage pilots to use professional standards. I actually want to thank our current 119 chief, Brad Bell. He's been fantastic about getting the company to utilize professional standards to the maximum extent possible. Of course, the company is not going to be comfortable having professional standards handle a sexual harassment issue. Professional standards really cannot handle a sexual harassment issue. They have a different way of handling that. And that, you know, oftentimes that involves getting it handed off to Carl. But um, just to the maximum extent possible, when you're on a trip and you're comfortable doing so, please engage with ProStands or engage directly with your coworker. Um, and very often that's what we're seeing the company do. You may go to your base chief pilot and your base chief pilot's first question may be, well, have you talked to professional standards? And if not, I'm going to give you your, their phone number and you're going to start with them and see if you can't resolve it with professional standards. So that'll be my pitch for that, especially you know, in the, in the lesser circumstances. Our former attorney, Jane Schraft, was very fond of the phrase, when you splash water, everyone gets wet. <laughs> so you know, you, you're the junior FO flying with the crusty old captain, and the crusty old captain's saying something you disagree with, and you write up the crusty old captain, and the crusty old captain goes into his section 19. What is he going to say? Well, that really stupid junior FO was on his phone playing Angry Birds in, in the whole flight. Okay, now now you're in trouble too. So Angry Birds is still a thing. Did I just reveal my age? Yeah. Peter Roman is shaking his head left to right now. <laughs> I will I will clarify one thing, yes. Sam, that you know, if any of you experience, you know, uncomfortable conversations, jokes, things that, you know, you think really aren't appropriate, uh, and you don't but you don't think that it rises to the level of wanting to get HR involved and in serious sanctions. It is okay to reach out to pro stands and say, hey, 
you know, look, um, you know, this situation happened, you know, um, I just want to make you aware of it and, uh, and so forth. So it, it's more of an informal option for people. Obviously, everybody has the right to go to HR at any time. Um, but ProStands is an option if, um, you know, you want to go a different route. Okay. Yeah, I appreciate all the info. Yeah, very informative. And, uh, yeah, thanks, guys, for everything. And, uh, yeah, take care. No problem, Steve. Take care. Thanks for calling in. Yeah, yeah. All right. I think I'm being told there's no more callers in the queue at this point, so we can move on to emails. And so I will give this next email question to Sam. That's very generous. Yes. This comes from a Minneapolis captain, Mark Rassler. Uh, It's a little bit of a long question. I'm going to try and truncate it just for time's sake without without losing any of the meaning. And basically that Mark is saying he was very excited to see the flow announcement uh, that he was initially content to ride out until his flow date came. Uh, it seems like he's expecting that in about 18 months or so. But, you know, under the context of the summer flying, you know, pretty poor schedules. Mark is a 200 captain. So as a as a fellow 200 captain, I very much empathize. Uh, as much as I love 30 hours in Saginaw, Michigan in the late fall, it's not that fun. Um, but, you know, that his opinion has changed given all of these things. He's seeing the bonuses be circulated to the American wholly owns. Um, that he recently learned that they uh, received holiday pay for this coming holiday, which I think was temporary and only applies to this holiday. Uh, but you're, you're correct. They did have a temporary LOA providing holiday pay. Um, and then I'll, I'll read the last part verbatim. I agree, I agree with the past thoughts floated by the union that money isn't everything. However, frustration is growing. With the number of pilots, especially junior pilots, we are losing each month. It is hard to not notice. Whether it be a Delta employee number or some other uh, sort of financial compensation, I think we all want to see something at Endeavor Delta that realizes the issue and is will make an effort to address the exodus. Thanks for making these on-air with uh, on-air events happen. Uh, we've probably already addressed this a little bit, but it bears repeating. We're 100% with you. And as Nick explained, we have a goal, which is some type of seniority longevity accrual to Delta, one or the other, or both, or some combination thereof. But... Uh, that's our goal. We think that that's what makes sense. But at the end of the day, if the company comes to us and can't quite get there and they're going to say, well, here's a wheelbarrow full of cash, we generally are not going to say no to a wheelbarrow full of cash. And just to reemphasize the reason why, uh, if they give every pilot on property a wheelbarrow full of cash or offer a wheelbarrow full of cash with maybe some strings attached about how long you have to stay here in order to keep it. But when they offer that, the worst case scenario is some folks say yes and get a wheelbarrow full of cash. And as far as we're concerned, there's really no downside associated with that. We don't think that that, that'll stem attrition for a moment. Uh, I say this as someone who in two weeks goes to a low-cost carrier. There's, There's no amount of money that is feasible that keeps me here. And we've transmitted that message loud and clear to Endeavor Management. So we hear you. We are working as much as we can in order to move towards retention discussions. We want to be careful. We don't want to appear overly hungry because that obviously reduces our bargaining power. And at the end of the day, at the risk of sounding standoffish, this is ultimately the company's problem to solve. But we'll, we'll engage with them as we can. If that means a cash package, great. If that means that we're talking about what we actually think solves the problem, which is some type of seniority longevity accrual, then even better. Excellent. Thanks, Sam. Our next question is from Atlantic Captain Maxim Beloff. Uh, Maxim says, good evening. First 
first of all, I want to say big thanks for supporting this pilot group and for all the hard work you guys do. Well, thank you so much, Max, and we appreciate that. My question is, so only eight pilots flowed to Delta. Uh, what happens if those 12 slots are not filled? Does it mean we move on to other pilots on the list or other pilots pushed back? In other words, if pilots were not prepared for class and have not taken class and not taken other pilots are pushed back. Thanks. Okay. Um, so this is something that I was going to address a little bit later in uh, the, the broadcast, but let's go ahead and address it here. There's also going to be a com coming out uh, in the Friday hotline that will probably address this as well. First and foremost, um, the pilots are wondering, are we losing flow slots? The answer is yes, we've lost flow slots, but the answer is we've only lost one. Okay. That is, that is the truth. We've only lost one up to this point. There are one or two others that might be in question at this point, but so far we've only lost one. The reason that you're seeing some odd flow numbers is remember, pilots can resign up to two weeks before their flow date. So we saw some pilots in the November flow class, um, which would have been the first class that would have actually transitioned to Delta, resign in October. So October, which shouldn't have had any flow pilots, had flow pilots in it. Whereas November, um, you saw only eight pilots because we had a, a fair number of them in October go ahead and resign. And the rest that weren't wanting to flow until December are just, you know, kind of held their resignations. And so you are going to see some ebbs and flows with that. Now, as far as losing flow slots, and, and I'm just going to kind of get up on my soapbox a little bit and just talk to the pilot group. Um, it is really important that we put our best foot forward. The reason that we lost a flow slot is because a pilot decided after the NFO window had closed and very, very shortly before they were supposed to transition to Delta that they just changed their mind. And really, there isn't a mechanism, honestly, in LOA 125 that allows that. But there is a mechanism that if a pilot goes to Delta and fails out of initial training, they get to come back here with their seniority and longevity. So we didn't want to create a situation where a pilot thought, well, you know what, they're going to make me go, but I've got this guaranteed method to come back and we've cost a training slot at Delta. That would be even worse than costing a flow slot for Endeavor. And so we let the, the pilot out of the flow. I want to emphasize uh, to the pilot group that your 45-day window, that is your period of selection. And, and that really is the end of story. There have been a couple other pilots that have pulled out, but fortunately we've been able to backfill their slots. Uh, but your 45-day window, that is when you select, and we view that selection, once that window is closed, as binding. And so please treat it as such. We're also still trying to work with Delta on figuring out what the timeline of their onboarding process is, because we would like to put gates in there that your airline applications needs to be completed by X date. Then after that, you need to complete an, uh, your either COVID vaccine or your accommodation or request for an accommodation. You need to have your fingerprinting done and your drug test done and any new hire paperwork. And we're gonna, we want to create these gates so that we ensure, A, we look very good to Delta during this onboarding process, and B, if any of those gates are missed, doesn't necessarily mean you're going to forfeit your opportunity, but it does mean that we're going to backfill your slot with somebody else and you may be delayed another month. And then if you continue to get delayed, we're going to have to have a serious conversation about your appetite to go to Delta. And so, again, I just want to make sure that we're all putting our best foot forward. But, you know, Maxim, just to kind of circle back to finish your point, you're going to see some variations in the numbers because pilots are allowed to leave up to two weeks early. And to date, we've only lost one flow slot. So hopefully that will put uh, the pilot group's uh, minds at ease a little bit. 
Um, there's, there's, just one, yep. there's just one thing that I think also bears adding to that, which is that we did have a pilot, and I won't go too far into the details, but the pilot had a genuine issue come up. The pilot did exactly what we need the pilot to do. Mm -hmm. The pilot immediately started communicating with everyone, came to the association, came to Endeavor, came to Delta, and said, hey, I have this problem. I'm doing everything I can to resolve it. Uh, you know, just let me know what you need me to do. So we know that for uh, you know, hopefully a very small number of pilots, there will be some bumps in the road, maybe some stuff that LOA 125 doesn't fully contemplate. And we're seeing a lot of uh, fairness be given to those pilots. And we're very happy with, with that process. So we don't want to scare anyone too badly. You know, if something serious and legitimate comes up, we can work with you. Where we're having issues is where it... it Delta and Endeavor, and frankly us, it becomes hard to not look at some of the things that are pulled and not start to wonder whether or not it's a stunt. So again, make your decision in the 45-day NFO window. Once you've made it, it's binding. We think that these issues will go away. At, you know, In fairness to the first few groups of pilots who are flowing, they really only had 45 days. At this point, you've got an idea where, when the flow number is going to come in advance of that notice of flow opportunity, that NFO. So again, we think that these problems will naturally resolve themselves as time goes on. But if you have issues, start reaching out, and we will work with you. No, and that's a fair point with the first tranche of pilots. Absolutely, Sam. Um, and yeah, things that are within your control, we need to hold ourselves responsible. Things like Sam, like you said, that are macro level events are kind of out of our control. Those can be under, more understandable. Um, Sam, you want to take this one? Sure. Detroit First Officer Jack Smith says, for those hired before June 2021, what is the likelihood of receiving Delta seniority numbers before we actually flow? This would greatly impact my decision to stay with Endeavor, especially if I can accrue a year or two of Delta seniority. Would seniority also include longevity in regards to pay scales? And so this kind of hits on seniority versus longevity versus some combination thereof. And just to be clear for the pilots, when we talk about seniority, we generally are talking about things like bidding power, whether that's your what you're bidding for equipment in a system bid or what you're bidding month to month in a schedule. And then separate from that, we have the issue of longevity. And longevity is basically everything else. So that's your pay rate, could be things like vacation accrual. Those are kind of two big examples of longevity. And there are advantages and disadvantages uh, on both sides of seniority and longevity. Seniority is relatively a cheaper proposition because obviously with longevity, if you start talking about someone sliding over to Delta at a, you know, you know whatever, your five pay rate, that, that's a high pay rate to start. Um, but seniority is not without its costs because if that pilot is going to be able to slide right into you know, a 777 FO spot, uh, or actually they just parked the 777, but an A350 FO slot, that's obviously going to have a large impact to pay. And similarly, longevity is a little easier in some regards because you cause a little bit less consternation with pilots at, in, at Delta, especially those who are hired. And then if we were to deal with you coming in, quote unquote, on top of them, the longevity might be a little easier. But as we've already stated, pay you know cost becomes an issue. Part of how we've been able to capture career progression to date is by pointing out the cost savings that, that are created by it. So just kind of providing that background, you can see that it's very... Un we don't know is, is the short answer. We haven't really been able to engage on retention discussions. It may be that we don't talk about seniority on longevity, especially in the first go around. It may be that we're talking instead about cash retention payments. Again, we don't think that that will solve the retention issue, but it's, the, the, that's the long way around of saying we don't know. Uh, it could be any combination thereof. It could be one. It could be the other. We know that folks are anxious. We're getting darts every week, I would say, from folks saying, hey, I've got a CJO at X, Y, or Z. And you can tell that the person's kind of saying, you know, I would like to stick around for Delta, but I can't make the math work. So where are we with retention? And the answer is we're nowhere. Um, you'll have to make your decisions 
uh, on your own. Obviously, we can't make that decision for you. I will say that personally, my decision to go to JetBlue is based on the fact that I have to make my own personal decisions with the information I have on that day. I can't make personal decisions on information that I think is going to happen or speculation. I pilot to pilot, that's my encouragement to you is to make those decisions based on the information you have today. And the information we have today is that we aren't anywhere on retention. Um, but hopefully that does change and change in the near future. I think you're leaving because you realized two weeks was enough uh, as my vice chair, aren't you? I've been on the EDV officer's <laughs> email chain for 24 hours, that, and that I, I already want to chuck my phone out the window. <laughs> I thought I received a lot of emails already. It's, it's, it's even worse. So, uh, All right. The next one is from Atlanta 900 Captain Erica Silcox. There's a few questions here. Uh, where are we at with seniority numbers at Delta? I hear that as long as the company have classes filled, they aren't interested in giving us more money giving us more money for retention. So retention and acquisition are two different things. Um, one of the things that uh, you know we felt we weren't going to be harmed uh, by doing the cap was it wasn't really going to take away from our ability to get retention. Yes, we always say our greatest leverage is when the company can't hire and the company can't retain. Now, the cap is going to be uh, an attractive tool for them to advertise, and so it may be able to get uh, some of their classes more full than they are today, but they still do have a retention problem. On top of a retention problem, there's also going to be, probably right around the next September timeframe, there's also going to be a gap in captain qualified first officers that they have to address. And the only easy way to address that, or really the only way to address that, when you don't have enough FOs with 1,000 hours of uh, as, uh, 121 time, street captains. Um, so there, there could be some bargaining opportunities there for us as well. Um, the company doesn't seem to think that just because they've done cap that it's going to somehow deleverage us, right? We don't think either. It's going to deleverage us at all for retention because they're kind of two separate issues. Um, next part of the question is, are LCPs going to be compensated more to stay? What I can say is they are, they are seeing a need to hire and retain LCPs because the compensation is relatively low in the industry. And so they do want to raise that and we're more in, than interested in allowing them to raise it. The challenge is they want to pay you more, but they want contractual offsets to do it. And we said, look, that's not really how it works. Just like you know, years ago when you had uh, trouble hiring FTIs, you decided to do positive space travel for FTIs and hotels for FTIs. We didn't have to give anything for that. That's your problem to solve. Kind of the same um, idea of flow or cap or retention. We can talk about a quid pro quo package, but those things are being driven by the market as Carl likes to say, or by the industry. And so we'll go ahead and make sure the deal is right on this side of the ledger, but that's just something you're going to have to do. And that's kind of how we're looking at LCP pay. Everything else is going to have to be separate. So compensated more to stay, I would say compensated more to do the position. But then the third part of your question is, are there talks of lengthening the holdback on LCPs? I've been hearing back and forth rumors. Do you have anything concrete I can take to the bank so I can estimate the timing that I will flow? Um, so there's two parts to that question. Number one, have there been any talks about holding back LCPs longer? The company originally made the pitch during LOA 125 negotiations that they wanted to hold back LCPs and FTIs for nine months under the clause that they were management pilots. We said, but they're not management pilots. They're not management pilots as defined in section 10. They don't hold phantom positions. They don't hold MGT on the seniority list. And most importantly, and this is the most important fact, we were told we can't change 
anything about Compass LOA 9 or how it was implemented or how it was effectuated because Delta felt like that that could weaken their grievance. Well, we checked with um, the Labor Relations Council on the Compass deal and LCPs and FTIs were not provided a nine-month holdback. So that pretty much killed any chance that they had of trying to capture LCPs and FTIs uh, for a longer holdback period. Um, and then do I have anything concrete I can take to the bank so I can estimate the timing that I will flow? Eric, I, I apologize. I don't even know where you sit on the seniority list, so I couldn't even begin to give you an estimation. That really has to come down to um, pilot bidding behavior and who will take the flow and who won't. And that that's like trying to gauge an upgrade. Um, it, it just kind of is trying to predict pilot bidding behavior, and I'm not going to be able to do that, unfortunately. So um, let's move on to the next question. Sam, you want to take this one? Sure. New York City First Officer William Grobe says, what will it take to achieve greater than 20 a month flow? Another letter of agreement. Thank you. In short, yes, <laughs> it, it will take another letter of agreement. The, the flow LOA basically says that we get the first 20 slots, and then once we've exhausted the flow LOA and convert over to cap, it's either 20 slots, or if Delta is hiring less than 40 a month, it's 50%. So if Delta hires 30 in any given month, we get 15 slots under the career advancement program. The company has spoken with us before about wanting to increase the flow rate. And Russ Elander has been very transparent about wanting to get the average longevity of the airline down. And again, that off that offers cost savings to Delta and Endeavor by getting the longevity of the airline down. But the difficult part with that is that the operation is already stressed and it's already stretched thin. And the funny thing is that when you look at the communications coming from the company, they're still talking about how we're covering extra sections from SkyWest, Republic, and even Mainline. So no, nobody has the staffing right now to fly. Uh, and so the hard part is that while they would like to see more pilots move on to Delta via guaranteed and contractual methods, it's this balancing act. If you increase the flow rate, do people stick around or do you just hurt yourself even more because the attrition is still terrible and you're, now you're just increasing the attrition. It's, it's a balancing act for them to strike. I think that if we get past a retention package that actually is effective and keeps pilots on property, then maybe we can start to talk about increasing the flow rate because now we've fixed that problem. But I think as long as the company is having a retention and attrition problem and they are very much having a retention and attrition problem, then, uh, that that will be very difficult for us to capture. Just like we talked about earlier, um, we need to make our asks make sense most of the time. Good. Carl, do you want to take a stab at the next question or do you want me to handle it? Uh, well, I'll take a crack at the first part of it anyway. Okay, sure. I'll, t I'll cover uh, the second one. All right. Uh, this is from Paul Canacula, 900 uh, captain. When does the cap start and who is eligible? Well, uh, in the communications, you should uh, have uh, been made available uh, the tentative agreement, and that goes and that sets forth, you know, the parameters of, you know, who who is available. I mean, really, anyone is uh, available to participate in the CAP program, provided that you don't have. Uh, anything that would disqualify you, which is, is set forth in the agreement. Right now, the cap would start when the last pilot eligible under the current flow uh, flows to Delta. Alternatively, if the flow 
were to be terminated prematurely, uh, the cap would kick in. Yeah, and Paul's second part of his question, specifically if I was unable to participate in the most recent flow, can I participate in the new cap agreement? Paul, I'm not going to be able to answer that for you. We'll have to take that question offline. I I would be unaware of why you would be able to un, uh, not participate in the most recent flow. So if you want to reach out to uh, me personally or your LEC representative, we'll be able to take that one offline. Um, the next question comes from Richard Brown, 900 captain. Richard writes, is it true that Delta wanted to give us seniority numbers at Delta, but the Delta MEC said no? Also, if we did have seniority numbers at Delta, how exactly would that work? So um, no, that is that is absolutely not true. The Delta MEC has not said no. I am in very consistent communications with Jason Ambrosi, the Delta MEC chairman, and Jason understands uh, what the challenges are. You know, when you take a look at a $150,000 American Airlines retention program and you are ex to extrapolate that amount of money to the pilots that we currently have on property and the pilots that they would be hiring in the future through at least 2022, which coincides with the expiration of, unless it's unless it's extended at the sole discretion of American, uh, that is set for its expiration at the end of that at all three wholly owned properties, you're probably looking at about a $400 million program. And I, and I don't say that lightly. And, you know, the Delta MEC understands that strategically, they're not necessarily well served by that amount of cash coming down to Endeavor for a number of reasons. Number one, lessens your profit sharing. Number two, when you're in the middle of section six and it goes down to a subcontractor, you don't look as profitable and it's harder to get your strategic objectives done. Um, so there is, I think, an appetite amongst the Delta MEC's part to see if they could keep that money up there by releasing some seniority numbers, provided they could get the right strategic objectives. I personally think the biggest challenge with the Delta and the Delta MEC is they don't do a lot of interim bargaining like we do. As I've said, 129 LOAs down here at Endeavor in a 10-year period. We lead the association by far, and it's not even close. Not every carrier operates like that. And it's not to say that the Endeavor way is perfect. Um, obviously, uh, it's yielded some very good results for us, but you know, other properties have different strategic objectives. So who knows um, if it would work as well at, at their properties. Uh, but the Delta MEC and Delta, they don't do a lot of this interim bargaining. And given the fact that Section 6 is open, and given the fact that they're looking to re-engage, um, I, I think that's causing some pause and some hesitation. But the Delta MEC did not say no. Also, how would this... How would this work as far as a seniority-based system? I don't really have an answer for you. I can tell you we floated internally and externally to the company some different concepts. And I'm just going to say concepts because they're not proposals. These were just kind of done, you know, somewhat off the record, but, you know, I can share them with you here. Obviously, one of the easiest ways is to just assign seniority numbers to every pilot at Endeavor. The challenge that that creates, though, with Delta is that does that make it look less appealing to a regular off-the-street hire coming to Delta because you've got thousands of pilots that will continuously be piling on top of you as you try to move up the Delta seniority list. So that number kind of worries them a little bit. There's this other idea of, do we just give it to all captains on the list? That would certainly entice people to upgrade as soon as they possibly can and possibly even alleviate this, um, this gap that they're gonna have in captain-qualified first officers that's a concept. Another concept that's been floated is a 2040 concept where you assign 20 seniority, excuse me, you flow 20 pilots to Delta per month, but you assign 40 seniority numbers. You're essentially creating a pool. You're, in essence, flowing 40 
because we're assigning 40 numbers, but you're only attriting 20. And so your pool just kind of slowly gets bigger. There's pros and cons to all of those things. Um, but before any of those things would come to fruition, obviously Delta and the Delta MEC have to agree, and we just don't know where we are on that. That's that's kind of in their court. All we can do is set up the bargaining opportunity for them, and then they're going to have to finish it off. Um, I think Peter's telling me we've got a caller in the queue, so we'll go back there. Hey, this is Sergio. I'm a CRJ 900 FO. <clears throat> Uh, my question was in regards, I actually have a couple questions, but I guess the first one would be, uh, what were we looking at as far as uh, November attrition? I saw the uh, union post got pulled down. Do you want to take that, Sam, or you want me to take it? Okay, um, yeah, so there was, so let me kind of explain what happens with uh, the attritions that we get. We get in each of the individual resignations, and then what we do is we take a look at those individual resignations, and we pull out the training failures. We usually don't account for any type of training failures. Um, there was a little bit of a discrepancy in this month's numbers uh, versus the individual uh, resignations that we have versus the totals that we were sent from the company. Um, I think the total, well, the totals that we were sent from the company was the one that was reflected on the slide. The individual one, when we did an audit of it, it was about eight higher. So instead of 48, I think it was like 55 or 56. Peter, is that about uh, correct? Somewhere in, in that neighborhood. Now, some people could have rescinded their resignations for a variety of reasons. We do see that class dates get adjusted, so on and so forth. And we really haven't been able to ascertain why there is that discrepancy, which is why we pulled it down. I know that Facebook has said that there's, you know, they're hearing rumors of 70. No, the, the discrepancy is somewhere between, like I said, 48 and 55 and 56, but we'll try to get an accurate number for you and then repost those. Okay. Um, I mean, my second question would be um, more along the lines of like, basically what's the appetite to get a deal done on retention? Cause I know looking at next year, there's more than 9,000 uh, pilots getting hired and, you know, I know for me personally, I live in a base that's served by uh, by all three of the majors and several of the low cost carriers. And for me, it it makes zero sense to wait, you know, forty a month, for example, to be assigned a senior seniority number if uh, United, American, whoever calls me faster. You know. No, and we and we agree. And like I said, you know, the twenty forty a month probably isn't enough. Um, that was just kind of the, the first idea that we had. And again, it's just an idea. Um, but giving seniority numbers to every pilot on property probably is a little too much for Delta to, to stomach or to go with. And I'm not talking about the Delta MEC. I'm talking about Delta management. And so, you know, it, may, it might make sense to, to give it to captains. And there is, I think, a, a pretty significant advantage, um, even if you could get on to another property sooner, there's a pretty significant advantage, um, even if you're actual move date to United or FedEx or UPS might be sooner to sit here at a top tier uh, regional airline with, you know, very, very good pay while your seniority number is marinating over at a mainline like Delta. I mean, if you could transition from, you know, five, six, seven year captain pay here to two, three year, you know, either wide body first officer, possibly even narrow body captain, depending upon how junior it gets. Um, that's a pretty large incentive that I think would likely work. Um, as far as the appetite to get the deal done, we have a strong appetite to do it. I believe Endeavor management has a strong appetite to do it. 
But in order to unlock the benefit that you're talking about, it means a meeting of the minds between Delta and the Delta MEC. And all we can do and all Endeavor Management can do is put the ball in their court and then it's up to them. Um, I don't really have, unfortunately, any more of a concrete answer for you other than that. And just, just to add some color. Yeah, that's understandable. Just, just to add some color. Yeah, that's you know, understandable. And I mean, I know for me... Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no, not a problem. I was just going to say that you know we are right now seeing attrition in the mid you know the mid 40s, mid 50s. Something to keep in mind is that the December flow class is later in December uh, than the November class was, and so we anticipate to see more attritions to the flow in December for the December class than we did for November. In other words, November, right? We saw some folks leave in October. Uh, we don't. We aren't really seeing the December class do that. They're mostly going to leave in December. So. You know, we're seeing attrition routinely in the 40s to 50s. That may continue to increase. And that's at a time when the airline is trying to incrementally grow. Uh, they're doing their best to hire, you know, in the mid-70s, I think, is what their current target is. And even when you're meeting that goal, if you're losing two-thirds or more of those onboards, and again, where are they losing that? They're generally losing it in the 500 to 750 seniority range up to the 1500 seniority range. You're talking about the junior captains, you're talking about the senior FOs. And like Nick said earlier, that's causing them a problem where they're going to run out of captain qualified first officers. So you know, we have the contractual minimums to upgrade. They can waive those if they need to. They cannot waive uh, part 121, 436. That requires a thousand hours in the right seat. So at a time when they're trying to incrementally grow the airline, they really can't with this attrition. They spent a lot of money at Delta trying to unlock these 35 RJs. They basically are not operating those 35 additional 76-seat <laughs> RJs. And there's no one that can. Again, we're, we're continuing to cover extra sections for Mainline, Sky West, and Republic. So they're going to need to work to fix that problem uh, is, you know, to, to give you an idea of how strong their appetite should be. Yeah, I mean, I know for me personally, I'm going to upgrade in uh, January. And, you know, it's kind of figuring out that balance of like, hey, is it worth hanging out here? Or, you know, if even if literally anybody calls me who serves where I live uh, during upgrade, I mean, I'd be gone. So I think they mm -hmm. could be looking at it uh, sooner than later and then, you know, sooner than they expect, in my opinion, as a lot of, you know, especially as the hiring uh, minimums come down at United and, and JetBlue and some of the other carriers, I think it's going to happen a lot faster than September, personally. Yeah, I, and I can't say that I disagree with you. And the the tranche that they're experiencing, probably the, the largest amount of attrition is low-time captains and high-time first officers. So we're talking, let's say, seniority 800 to 1300-ish give or take a little bit. Uh, that's where they're experiencing most of their attrition, and that is absolutely going to kill them. I don't disagree with you. Um, and I don't think Endeavor Management disagrees with you, but in our experiences, it just takes Delta, for some reason, <laughs> a very long time to get there. And we've heard Jim Graham uh, describe Delta as a big ship with a little rudder. And I think sometimes your, your greatest strength can also be your greatest weakness. That means with a little rudder, you can stay the course, and you're not going to necessarily ebb and flow with any wave, every single wave that hits you. But when you do need to make a, a course correction, especially a quick course correction, you can find yourself behind the power curve pretty quick. And this has kind of been Delta's MO. I know it's frustrating, but I've seen this play out so many times that I do think something good eventually is going to happen. I just don't have a, a time frame on that. 
uh, of course. Um, yeah, I won't take up too much more of your time. I just want to, you know, I'm sure uh, many others in my position kind of share the same same frame of mind. So thanks for answering my question. Absolutely. Take care and thanks for calling in. Oh, we don't have any more callers? Oh, you pointed at me. I thought we had more callers. <laughs> All right, uh, you want to take this one, Sam? Sure. Uh, Detroit Captain Brandon Boldy says, uh, first off, congratulations and thank you for a successful end to the PFA campaign and securing uh, securing contractual career progression. I would like to highlight three things. Uh, number one, our schedule quality has gone down, actually far downhill, fewer days off, non-commutable trips, slow credit, unproductive trips. They need improvement, quality of life, and work uh, work-life balance cannot be understated. Uh, what is being done to help this? Number two, as you great, well, I'm just going to oh, okay. just see if uh, number two, as great as cap is for new hires, it does little for us here on property. We don't want to be like the cable company giving all the good deals to the new people. <laughs> I don't know that I've ever heard us never compared <laughs> that, to the cable company. That's a good, I like I'm that. That's a good one. Yeah, no, I, I, like it. It. I like it. Uh, since it appears the company is not willing to entertain monetary payouts, we need to push strongly for non-monetary gains. The seniority number at Delta would be far more beneficial than a cash payout. And then I'm assuming this is number three. Uh, I do not want to sound ungrateful, but we are tired of hearing thanks for all you do for management. While a verbal thanks is appreciated, it doesn't give me any more time with my family. It doesn't give extra money to buy whatever we'd like. Uh, the words have been ringing hollow with us without any um, anything meanif- meaningful for the exceptional work, service, and performance numbers we provide. So I just wanted to kind of see if there was overlap sure. there. Um, so the first one is schedule quality. I kind of talked about that a little bit earlier. We're very much aware that schedule, and you're, you're a fellow Detroit 200 captain. Again, I empathize strongly with you. Uh, we know that the schedule quality has gone downhill, especially you know the 200, the 200 has always had difficulties with schedule quality. I remember when I was a 200 first officer in New York and I went over to the 900 um, that I actually, even though I had lesser seniority in the position on, as a 900, uh, I had more days off because the schedules are just that much more efficient. So the 200 is always very difficult for us to achieve schedule qual- uh, quality on. The 900 is a little bit of a different story. We've been working where we can to increase schedule efficiency. I know you're a Detroit 200 captain, Brandon. Kind of an example of this is Cincinnati. Uh, Cincinnati has really kind of stagnated. The company anticipated that flowing, that flying increasing more rapidly, and it never did, or it has yet to. They're telling us that they anticipate that starting to increase next year. But for a little while, they were taking... Um, flying from other domiciles and importing it into the Cincinnati domicile to increase block hours and increase schedule efficiency. And we finally said to them, no, we, we really can't do this anymore. We need to leave the flying in the domiciles and keep it, you know, we can't artificially import it into Cincinnati. The reason they were doing that is as you increase block hours, you create more permutations and combinations for the solver to do, the pairing solver, and that generally increases schedule efficiency. So, uh, you know, the things that we can do within our power, we're trying to do, like not importing flying into a very small domicile unnecessarily. We also have looked at, um, I guess I would say, almost creative solutions. Um, the, the company a couple of years ago implemented a part of the pairing solver for five-day trips. You know, normally five days are worth 25 credit hours. They implemented a tool in the pairing solver that allowed them to highlight, basically uh, enforce credit into the trips to try and reduce that soft credit, right? So, you know, previously we might have seen a five-day trip with really 16 hours of quote-unquote hard credit, but it was rigged up to 25. We really don't see that nearly as much anymore. And we were kind of trying to fight for five days, fight for five days, fight for five days. And um, what we have kind of figured out is if we back off of the five days a little bit and go to shorter trips, 
by creating more trips, we can create more schedule efficiency. That's why the contract actually in Section 25E1 limits the number of five days. It's because we we found historically that as we increase five days, again, just like you're robbing it from domiciles, you're robbing it from other trips. And so we see schedule efficiency go down. So we're doing what we can uh, as far as negotiating. Like I said, if that's something like a trip duty rig or whatever else we need to do, the hard part is that quality of life typically runs counter to... Uh, staffing. You know, when the company says efficiency and a pilot says efficiency, they mean very <laughs> different things. And at a time when the company is very tightly staffed, it's difficult for us to uh, negotiate for things like more days off because that's typically going to result in, in lower productivity for the pilots. So, you know, kind of a combination of pushing on the levers we currently have and keeping an eye on the levers that we can push on in the future, but kind of understanding where our limits are. The second thing is, you know, you're talking about seniority instead of cash payments and we've already i think it's fair to say we beat that a little bit to uh, death but he's talking to us about about us being the cable company i yes. really like would that. you be would you be larry the cable guy nick L- no oh no <laughs> no well, you were talking about marinating seniority numbers and all i could think <laughs> about was like teriyaki or barbecue <laughs> sauce or um n- you know we've already addressed this a little bit but it, it, again i'm more than happy to reiterate that um yeah, we're all in favor of a seniority number. I think that, you know, to reiterate Brent, what Brandon was saying, that since it appears the company's not willing to entertain monetary payouts, I actually, I'm going to disagree a little bit. I think that the, it's an easier get for the company to end up doing money. And again, I think that that may be where we end up, at least initially, as part of an incremental bargaining pattern. But um, but I do think that you're going to see more likely than not a monetary package. We're going to continue to try and advocate for seniority and longevity, but um, we may end up seeing it that it's monetary. And if Nick would jump back to the last question. So thank you. Um, and yeah, I mean, we, we get it. We get that it, you know, that this last question is kind of that it's hard to keep hearing. Thanks for all you do. Um, I will say that I, I do think it's, I've been here almost five years and I know that's, that pales in comparison to some people like old man Nick sitting next to me, but uh, I talked to my peers at other air carriers. You know, Nick and I just the other day were commenting on how successfully we weathered COVID. I, I really think amongst passenger carrying operations, we're, we probably we may have fared the best in the industry, if not among the best. Every other carrier either furloughed or did furlough mitigation, and we didn't really have to do that. So um, I get that it's hard to be working day in and day out, um, and that thanks for all you do really doesn't do anything. Um, but I do think it's worth acknowledging that we have been, we've, we've enjoyed a very successful airline. I talked to my peers at other regional carriers and the stuff that they have to deal with in comparison to the stuff we have to deal with. It, it makes me grateful to be here. Uh, we have a very positive relationship with the company. Uh, COVID definitely hit the press to test button on that relationship <laughs> and it deteriorated a little, but we were able to improve upon it and get back to where we once were. I think all of that uh, bears remembering. And especially as I'm as I'm leaving, you know, when we're going to see higher and higher turnover in the MEC, it's worth remembering that it's always good to talk. It's always good to negotiate. You may not come away with a deal, but yeah, you, you try and negotiate. You're not helping that. No, I am helping. No, my final act you're, for you're this MEC over? is leaving. Oh, no. well, I'm making the turnover yeah. back. But my you're final act to the pilot group is I will be a, I will be an attrition number in December, which is typically <laughs> a low attrition month. So you're welcome, Nick. Can you uh, can you tell the uh, company you're going to Envoy? Oh, jeez. <laughs> Russ Russ already had a cow when I when he heard I was going to JetBlue. So. <laughs> All right. Uh, the next email question comes from uh, Justin Fenner, 200 FO. How does the degree requirement coming back work? Is it all current pilots uh, never have to worry about it? Or if we are counting on the flow and then the company moves to cap, we have 90 days to flow or we need a degree. Okay, so let me make something really clear. 
flow cap separate programs okay under the flow you do not need a college degree okay under the cap as it currently stands you do not need a college degree so let's just play out a couple of scenarios if the flow were to go away you would become a cap pilot you do not need a college degree okay now after becoming a cap pilot if the company says hey look Delta wants to reinstitute this, this college degree requirement, then once they notify the association, 90 days later, okay, 90 days, you still have the same program you always have, the rug is not pulled out from under you, any pilots that have transitioned onto our seniority list within that 90 days have the same program as you, it's only pilots coming at day 91 and after that that will apply to. And this was a very important concept for us because we said, look, in order for it to be contractual, we've got to be able to bank on it. You know, we can't have the terms and conditions change. If the terms and conditions start changing, it means less for us. So we came up with this concept where pilots would be grandfathered in under the existing terms. Only pilots coming after that 90-day window would be on different terms. So Justin, hopefully that uh, clears it up for you. You want to take this one? Uh, Since this, we were just talking about this earlier. Yes. Uh, this comes from an, uh, from Anonymous 900 Captain in New York, which is a very strange name. I assume that's like Beyonce. It's like a, a one-name name. Uh, I see in the CAP program that, and I, I have to comment because I'm on my way out, CAP program is redundant. It's a career advancement program. Everyone that talks to me knows CAP. Hot training. Hot training. You love that, don't sat you? Sat times. Jane Schraft <laughs> had her little things. Her thing was pre-planned. You can't have pre-planned. It's either planned or not. Sorry. I see in the CAP program that MMPI failures are disqualification for pilots and Propel. Can you comment on that only for Propel? This does not apply to DGI people, correct? The answer is correct. Uh, the only time that we start dealing with MMPI for CAP is for those in Propel. Um, that was something that Delta wanted and was very important to them. We, we really couldn't see movement on that. Uh, another thing worth noting is that as long as you are flow eligible, as long as LOA 125 is in, is in effect and you were hired prior to June 3rd of this year and you're covered under the flow, uh, you can continue to attempt an OTS, an off-the-street interview. Uh, that being said, once flow is quote-unquote over, so you know if you were hired after June 3rd or if the flow agreement is nullified and, and, and everyone remaining on property slides over to the career advancement program, uh, at that point, if you would attempt an OTS interview, uh, and that does not result in a job offer, you are you forfeit your right to participate in CAP. So if you were hired after June 3rd, you're, you are, are you, assuming we ratify on Friday, at that point you're a CAP pilot. If you attempt an OTS interview after Friday and you are unsuccessful and you were hired after June 3rd, you forfeit your right to CAP. If you were hired prior to June 3rd, after Friday, if you want, you can continue to attempt OTS interviews. And if you're unsuccessful in that OTS interview, including the MMPI on that OTS interview, then you will continue to reserve your right to, to move under uh, the flow agreement. So again, the MMPI is very specific. It's only for pilots in the Propel program. Uh, I'm, the comms team is wanting to clarify that the MMPI is is sort of the psychological exam at Delta. I think I think it's what pilots kind of half jokingly refer to as the personality test. Yes. <laughs> All right. Uh, next email question is also from that same uh, anonymous person. Um, does the military discharge requirement fall off after ten years, similar to that of a DUI? The answer is no was discharged with a general under honorable conditions in 2010. Oh, well, I'm sorry. Was discharged with a general under honorable conditions in 2010 
and wanted to know if I'm still eligible to flow. So the way the, the verbiage is written is it's anything that is less than honorable. So if this was a general discharge under honorable conditions, that technically is less than honorable. So under the terms of the cap, no, you would not be eligible. However, pilots that have found themselves in, in this situation, because this is not new, this is a, a longstanding standard at Delta, they've worked with specific attorneys. And if you need uh, resources or names, reach out to me. I can get you in touch with Russ Elander. We can probably get you uh, some guidance or some information on that. And they've worked, uh, these attorneys have worked with uh, the government very successfully to get these overturned and changed to um, honorable discharges. And then you're, you're free to participate. Um, now, you did say, though, I wanted to know if I'm still eligible to flow. So I want to make sure that there's something clear. Under the flow terms, so if you were hired before June 3rd, you can flow. Um, doesn't matter a DUI. It doesn't matter uh, what your your status was in the discharge as far as the military is concerned. You still flow. There are no carve-outs. There are no gates. CAP does have that, that gate. But fortunately, since the CAP doesn't go into effect until uh, the last flow pilot goes, you've got plenty of time um, to try to change that. So if you have any more specific questions, please feel free to reach out the officers and we will um, we'll make sure that we get you the right resources and information that you need. I think there was one more thing, which is that, oh. or two more things, which is that, no, not on there, but just oh. that I think the communications folks were looking to iterate that that was not the same anonymous as prior to that. And the other thing. No, I was joking. Oh. Wow. Right my head. Man, geez. That, that was, was a such good a, joke. That's a, no, dad You're a joke. kidder, Nick. It was a dad joke. Uh, yeah, two, bad. two weeks. Boo. Who's counting? Uh, the other thing I wanted to note is that I've already communicated. That may be the same pilot, but I've, I have communicated with a pilot who has basically that exact circumstance that they were discharged from the military under a general discharge with honorable conditions. And again, we've confirmed that pursuant to the cap and the cap alone that you would not be eligible to move to Delta. And one of the things that that pilot has already done is they've already retained a personal attorney to see if they can get the military to overturn their discharge status. And that individual let me know that that attorney was actually able to use this language as a little bit of a crowbar and try and get uh, the military to reevaluate and modify their discharge status. In other words, the military, the attorney is able to go to the military and say, this is how this discharge is still harming my client. And this is why, it, you know, this still has a very uh, obvious and tangible impact to my client. And that's why you should overturn it. So uh, just kind of emphasizing that point. Uh, sure, I can take this. Uh, Gianmarco Girilli, I think is how you would say the last name, is a Detroit uh, captain, a 900 captain. Um, first of all, thank you for everything you guys do for us. I personally do appreciate it. My question is as follows. Can we expect ready reserve rules to change? For example, how many times per bid period they can put us on ready reserve? Uh, ready reserve modifications are a strategic priority of the MEC, and there's any number of things we've looked at doing with ready reserve modifications. Uh, I'm sure everyone is aware, but you can be assigned up to three ready reserves in a reserve sequence, uh, up to 10 in a bid period, and that number can be increased uh, in order to allow, uh, if there's no one else that's available for that primary assignment. Um, Similarly, we've got limits as to how much duty you can sit on primary versus secondary escalated ready reserve. And we've toyed around with modulating those things. For example, something we've toyed around with modulating is dropping those three in a sequence, 10 in a bid period limit. Uh, all that's going to do is force the ready reserve to go senior. And you know, we often, as the grievance committee, I often see times where people go, well, I was assigned more than three in a sequence or more than 10 in a bid period. And we do some digging and we find no one was available for the primary assignment. So it may not even do that. It may, it, it may be uh, a little bit of spinning our wheels. Uh, that being said, it's something we can try. It's, it's 
basically of no cost. So it's something that might help, especially in the positions with a greater number of pilots. The hard part with that type of modification is that when we deal with those smaller positions like Cincinnati, for example, it gets dip more difficult for us to, to modify that. Um, it's, you know, we, we were able to achieve a sizable reduction in ready reserves as a consequence of letter 91. Um, and so it's something that we'll continue to push for. We know that the pilot group hates ready, <laughs> hates ready reserve. Uh, Nick hates ready reserve. He sat a lot of it in his time here. Uh, it's because I'm, so, I'm so old. It is, yes. Yeah. I'm seeing him disintegrate into dust right in front of me. I don't know if the cameras are good enough that you can see it. But it's in short, it's something that we'll continue to push for. It's difficult because, again, this company is very sensitive to operations. Uh, they feel it's very important that when Delta picks up the phone and says, hey, and I think this made it big on social media, we operated an extra section, I think, at the last minute from Atlanta to Salt Lake City and back uh, uh, like a, a couple months ago. Uh and so the company just really think it's it, th- thinks it important to be able to answer to Delta's uh, operational needs, especially when they're last minute. So we'll continue to push on that front. It's a big strategic priority to the MEC. Um, I don't know that there's anything in the works right now. Again, we've got to be sensitive to where our strengths are and where our vulnerabilities or where the company's vulnerabilities are. And when we're dealing with times where they're already tightly staffed, stuff like negotiating ready reserve and those quality of life improvements gets that much more difficult, but it, it will remain a strategic priority for the MEC. Great. Our next question comes from Detroit 200. Uh, first officer, Samuel Diaz, uh, Sam writes, congrats to you guys for flowing to Delta or moving on to another carrier. While that is awesome news for you guys and our industry as a whole, how will this affect our MEC going forward? One of our strengths of the MEC has been the experience of our volunteers. How is the MEC planning to maintain effective bargaining with the company while managing the quick turnover? You hit the nail on the head. Uh, <laughs> this is going to be uh, probably the biggest challenge facing us. So when I took uh, you know the reins of the MEC chairman position after spending a lot of time on the uh, negotiating committee, um, you know, obviously my focus and priority was career progression, but also just continuing all of the strong bargaining and relationships that have built an industry-leading contract. Um, what I wasn't expecting was to deal with COVID. Um, fortunately, we got through it, and as Sam said, we got through it without losing a single pilot to furlough and not taking any concessions, one of the few carriers that was able to achieve that. But as we started this um, new term, which yeah, literally starts today, um, you know, my thought was, okay, now we've got, we've, we're, we're pretty much through the pandemic, the worst of the pandemic. I understand that there could be different uh, waves and variants that are out there, but I think we're through the worst of the pandemic. I feel comfortable saying that. Um, and we've got career progression and we're looking on to what's next, such as retention and things like that. And while that's exciting, I've, I've said right at the beginning, um, actually, I shouldn't even say the beginning, right during the election phase uh, in September, before the beginning of this term, our greatest challenge is going to be, uh, Sam, just what you said. How are we going to deal with this turnover? So one of the things that um, you know we want to identify as early as we can is replacements. And we want to put them in positions to get them spooled up uh, so that as you have some of the senior leadership leave, you've got some people waiting in the wings. Um, I know I've been picking on Sam here for a little bit, but that was kind of the idea with Sam. But again, now JetBlue is taking him. So we're going to have to find that replacement. Um, I can tell you it's also why Dave Zergot stepped um, back from the vice chairman's role to the negotiating committee because we had a hole there. And as long as we could use his experience and knowledge for six more months while we spool up more people, uh, we're going to do that. Uh, this is going to be the biggest challenge for the Endeavor MEC. It's going to be the biggest challenge that I'm going to face for the next year while I'm here uh, is making sure that we pass on that knowledge. Now, Here's the good news about, you know, the Endeavor MEC. 
we have a certain way of conducting ourselves, doing business, philosophies. And as long as the new leadership team adheres to the principles that have brought us success, I don't think it's going to matter what players um, are in the positions as much as if they just hold true to people, product, process. As long as they do that, right people in the right positions, adhering to a process and producing an uh, an excellent product, I think you guys are going to be just fine. Fortunately, we also have, even though we're going to be very junior here, we have a lot of experience up at Alpa National, and that will that will help guide this MEC and helps guide other MECs that face the very same thing that we're going to be facing, which is you know a very very junior uh, group of um, pilots and leaders. The other thing that you guys can do is get involved. That and especially if you're a first officer, and I see that you are, Sam, um, get involved. If there is a position uh, within the MEC that interests you, we'd like to hear from you because we. We are going to have a lot of vacancies, and we're already starting to experience those vacancies. I I think I am down an entire R&I committee at this point. So if you've got a skill set and you'd like to share and serve that pilots, please step up because it will will help us tremendously. You want to take this one? Sure. Uh, Atlanta Captain John Capost says, it seems that raising LCP pay falls under the purview of, quote, if they're offering you money, take it. So why is such an issue the company is clearly excuse me, motivated to fix taking so long to get done? Um, part of it is that the career advancement program negotiations originally had a lot of pieces to them, or it should be a lot of pieces to it. It's actually very reminiscent of the flow negotiations and, and a lot of negotiating packages we've done over the years where the company comes to us with a huge list of asks, but at the same time saying we need to get this done really quick and you just can't do both. You need to pick one. We can talk a lot or we can talk quickly, but we can't do both. And so just like with the flow negotiations, the cap negotiations originally had a whole list of stuff with them. And we just finally said, look, if you want to get cap done, let's just make this real simple. And that's the tentative agreement we have before us today. All of the other issues have been kind of, for lack of a better phrase, put off. Um, you know, to your point, LCP pay uh, is something that they need to increase in order to attract LCPs. They really are are not able to attract LCPs at this point. And to your point, it's something that, why not just offer it? Really, we're waiting on them. Um, if they came to us and said, we want to increase LCP pay and we want to codify it, we, we would have suggestions as to how we think to do it. But just as we would like to see seniority longevity accrual for Delta for retention instead of cash, if they come to us with cash, we'll probably say, sure, because what's the harm? So, um, we are in the early process of negotiating for an LCP increase. Again, we really want to limit any amount of quid pro quo in that negotiation because, yeah, you're raising the pay for our pilots. Company, you're you're the ones asking for it. You're the ones that need it. Um, and so that's something that I think can be done in relatively short order. John, I'm going to guess that you're an LCP. Um, <laughs> we are hearing from you guys loud and clear that you want to see the pay increase. The company is hearing from you guys loud and clear that they want to see that you want to see the pay increase. And most importantly, the company knows that they need to increase the pay because of the they're having a difficult time uh, bringing in new blood. So I think hopefully that's something that's able to be done in relatively short order as long as it doesn't get too complicated. Again, just keep your eyes and ears open on communications and we'll keep you uh, the entire pilot group apprised of that. Yeah, and John, I'll just you know kind of double up on what Sam said. One of the problems with the company's proposal is they said, yes, we want to pay LCPs more, but we want work rule 
uh, latitude uh, and get some efficiencies back on the other side to make it either cost neutral or possibly even save them some money. That's kind of like us coming in and saying, yes, we got career progression, we got a flow and we got the cap, but because of our longevity savings, you know, our average longevity is going to go down, we want to charge you at the bargaining table to get those things. So why don't you give us, you know, sick bank payout for free because we're getting the cap and we're getting flow. They wouldn't take too kindly to that. We kind of had the same thought with their LCP proposal. Sam's right. If they just came in and said, we want to pay your LCPs more, LCP, LCPs more, we would do that in a second. Just like we did with the FTIs when they wanted um, travel benefits and hotels to be able to attract them. But they're wanting to complicate it a little bit. Once we get this cap thing ratified, we're going to go right back into negotiations for the LCP thing and we'll see where we get. Um, all right. Uh, next email question is anonymous from Detroit 200 First Officer. Says, hey guys, 200 FO looking to upgrade when my number can hold it. Wondering if the company will remove the seat lock for 200 FO so we can fly more than 55 hours a month and actually have our 1,121 time when the company needs us to upgrade next fall. These nine-hour block four days are brutal. Thanks for all you guys do for the pilot group. You know, that will really be a decision that the company has the contractual latitude to make. They, they can remove seat locks on a uniform and non-discriminatory basis, whether or not they will is really going to just depend upon their needs. Yes, they do have a need to see some pilots um, get their 121 time so that they can upgrade to maybe you know bridge that lull that they're going to see. At the same time, can they afford a lot of lateral, trade, um, lateral movements from 200 first officer positions to 900 first officer positions? Do they have the training bandwidth to do that while maintaining the new hires that they need and the captain upgrades that they need? That usually is the driving force behind making that decision and really... It's kind of in their court. So I don't, I'm not going to have, unfortunately, a real good answer for you on that. But, you know, as Sam has said, I think I've thrown most of the schedule quality questions to him. As Sam has said routinely, we understand that, you know, schedule quality, schedule efficiency, it's just not there yet. And we're, we'd like to do some things to fix it. Um, right now, it's a little bit more difficult because they do need efficiency. So we can't take efficiency away. And that's usually what is required when we go after quality life enhancements, which is why we're uh, focusing more on the money aspect because we think that's achievable. But we'll see where we land on those things. The hard part with the 200 FO seat lock issue is that right now the company still needs the 200 FOs. We have seen new hire classes starting to come in into the 200 FO category. And so it's not quite so simple as them just allowing 200 FOs to slide over to the 900 because that's just going to create, as Nick said, more training events. They're going to have to fill the 200 uh, new hire positions and then they're going to have to train the 200 FOs to go fly the 900. Uh, the company bargained for a new hire seat lock in letter 91. <laughs> they paid dearly for that. Um, and you know, keep in mind, you're right, the company needs upgrades. The company also didn't backfill, didn't award secondary positions to some Atlanta 900 captain slots. The reason being training bandwidth. Um, I was in the vacancy processing and they told us right off the bat, we're really tight on the training bandwidth. We're trying to hire 75 a month. We're trying to upgrade where we can. And that just means that, for example, with Atlanta 900 captain, that we aren't going to be able to backfill all of the secondaries. So Nick, is hit, Nick hit it on the head. And just to kind of provide that, that tangible example, I guess I would say, is that the training pipeline is a huge problem for them right now. Yep. All right. Well, I am being told by our excellent comms team that this is the end of email questions. There are no callers in the queue and there are no more text questions. So it looks like we have come to another end of one of our successful on air with the chair lives. Uh, Carl, Sam, any parting words? Nothing here. There'll be a New York 
uh, LEC, uh, sorry, a New York LEC meeting Monday, 11 a.m., JFK, Palm Grill. You should have, all the New York folks should have gotten it. If you're not a New York person, you are, of course, welcome to attend. Um, we'll, we'll make a swing through the crew room at, uh, you know, quarter till 11 or so on Monday to see if anyone wants to come over. And uh, that will actually be the primary reason for that is to hold the election for my successor on the New York LEC for first officer representative. So if you're in New York, even if you're not a New York uh, pilot, please feel free to come by. We'll give you an update because if you manage to make it, about two hours and 15 minutes into this, I'm sure you've got even more questions. Um, and I just, again, I wanted to thank the pilots that elected me uh, three years ago. I wanted to thank the pilots that have helped me learn so much in the four years of ALPA work. It's really been a privilege working uh, with all of you. Uh, and so I just wanted to say thank you. And thank you, Sam. You are definitely going to be missed, sir. You are a juggernaut. Thank you. No problem. All right. Well, I want to say thank you to all the pilots, and I sincerely mean that for your support in the Progression for All campaign. I think we are about 48 hours away from the orange lanyards being put down and the ALPA, well, I, I was told they weren't blue, navy blue, I guess. I'm colorblind. I don't know. Um, navy, navy blue lanyards. Uh, well, it's true. I am colorblind. I, I got a waiver. It's fine. Uh, the navy blue lanyards uh, getting <laughs> I got the comms team rolling now. Uh, the Navy Blue Lanyard's coming back, so um, I appreciate all your guys' support, all your guys' work. You know, we're fighting for you. I think some good things are going to happen on the retention front, whether it's seniority, monetary, combination of both. Uh, it's just a matter of, of time, I think, and I think the time is, is going to be sooner rather than later. Uh, we will keep you apprised and informed of any developments on that front uh, and others through all of our normal communication channels. Uh, I want to say thank you for joining us tonight. Uh, probably won't be talking to you on one of these live calls again until next year. But at that point, the offices will be uh, complete and we'll be in a freshly remodeled space. Won't look any different to you, but it'll look uh, pretty different to us. Um, can't wait to see you guys again. Uh, fly safe, be safe out there. We'll see you out on the line. Take care, everyone.